This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is the Dr. Matt Show. I'm your coach, your guide on the side. How are you, friends? Hope you're having a great uh, day today. Uh, man, big, big, big day. Happy hot dog day. The day of the meat missile. The day of the, uh, of you know, the day we eat all of the parts of the cow that you didn't choose to eat necessarily. They can't even, the, the, the leftovers, the extras, you know, happy hot dog day. Now, you either love the hot dogs or you don't, right? I just can't get enough of them. I, I, no, that's not true. It depends on the hot dog. It depends. Some of them, you know, just fantastic. Ever had a Dodger dog? I've never had a Dodger dog. Very good. I've had an Angel's dog. Oh, have you? Are those good? I don't know. I don't know if they're the same. Are they? Yeah. It's a, probably the same thing. It's a hot dog. It's a hot dog. <laughs> it's all just, just a hot dog. Just put sauerkraut on it and mm. you know, mustard and ketchup. Are you a big hot dog eater? I'm not. No. Very rarely. Really? Yeah. I bet you I, mean, like, I like them. I just uh, do eat salads. Buy them. You're a salad eater. On occasion. I'm a big chicken. Yes. Uh, yeah. Chicken. Lots of protein. Mm. I'm hungry. Well, happy hot dog day. It's an interesting uh, day because our topic today is to is um, the fight against hunger. Did you know that one in six people in America face hunger? They just don't have consistent access to food. One in six. What do you think about that? I mean, is that how can that be? Well, they're just lazy. I mean, anyone can go get a hot dog. Well, no, you really, some really can't. They just don't have the money to do it. And there kind of there seems to be an idea out there that you know you don't want to feed the poor, right? Because if you feed the poor, it's like feeding stray animals. Some have said, "We uh, don't feed the stray animals, or they'll just keep coming back for more." Are you kidding me? They're people. We're supposed to feed people. So uh, a little bit later, we're going to have Joel Berg on the show. He's going to walk us through what's really going on with hunger in America, what are the real statistics, and find out what what are we able to do, what are we supposed to do, what can we do to fight against hunger. And let's blow up this idea that we don't feed the hungry because they're like wild animals. They're not wild animals. That's a neat metaphor to make you feel good about not taking care of other humans. They're human beings. We feed human beings. We've talked about it, mental health, a million other issues. We can't just demonize these people. We've got to solve these problems. And so on the show today, we'll be talking with Joel Berg and uh, also celebrating the day of the hot dog. (laughs) It's just... It's interesting. We have a day for everything. And a lot of the things we have a day for seem to be like junk food. I don't know why. 
it's just like, you know, they're just more popular. Let's go to another popular topic. Kathy Aiken in the headlines. Good morning, Matt. Suspected Charleston shooter Dylan Roof has been indicted on federal hate crime charges. Roof, who's accused of killing nine people in a black church in South Carolina last month, was also charged by the state with nine counts of murder. Here's Attorney General Loretta Lynch. Roof further decided to seek out and murder African Americans because of their race. The parishioners had Bibles. Dylan Roof had his 45 caliber Glock pistol and eight magazines loaded with hollow point bullets. South Carolina does not have hate crime laws, which is why the federal government stepped in. An estimated crowd of 10,000 protesters packed into Times Square last night in New York City, demanding Congress vote down the proposed nuclear deal with Iran. Many in the crowd were upset the deal was submitted by the Obama administration without congressional approval. President Obama said he'd veto any legislation that tries to overturn the deal to lift economic sanctions on Iran in exchange for that country not building nuclear weapons. Meanwhile, Secretary of State John Kerry will face tough questions about the deal at a Senate hearing this morning, including alleged secret side deals with Tehran. Sandra Bland, the woman who was found dead in her jail cell three days after her arrest in Texas, reportedly wrote on her jail intake form she tried to commit suicide in the past. That's a claim her family denies. Bland apparently hanged herself in her cell. The 28-year-old is pulled over for failing to signal a lane change and was arrested after an argument with a police officer, which escalated on July 10th. Two teens were taken into custody last night after five of their relatives were found stabbed to death inside an Oklahoma home. The suspects are aged 18 and 16 and lived in the same home as the deceased. One other family member is in the hospital in critical condition. The crime took place in the Tulsa suburb of Broken Arrow. New York City is recommending fast food change with 30 or more stores nationwide increase employee wages to $15 an hour. New York City workers will see their wages increase to that amount by the end of 2018. Governor Andrew Cuomo said the recommendations do not require legislative approval and believes the move will start a trend across Across the nation. One city who, which moved its minimum wage to $15 an hour is seeing evidence that some workers are asking to work fewer hours. This in an effort to preserve their welfare benefits. With the increased pay, some are nervous if they make too much money, they'll lose subsidies for food, child care, and rent. Despite a booming economy in that part of Washington, the state's welfare caseload has seen a very small decrease in need. And did you see this yesterday, Matt? South Carolina Senator and GOP presidential candidate Lindsey Graham putting out a video <laughs> no. destroying his cell phone. Yeah, oh. it was called How to Destroy Your Cell Phone with Lindsey Graham. <laughs> of course, this coming after Donald Trump gave out his cell phone number during a rally in his home state. So the video shows Graham putting the phone in a blender, oh, wow. starting it on fire, dropping it off a roof, and it ends with a senator throwing it into a wall as he says, this is for all the veterans. But if you look at the video, the <laughs> yeah. phone is one of those really cheap flip, yeah, like phones. flip phones. So I'm thinking that wasn't his real phone. You, you know, know, it may have been. You think? Because this is the same guy. Lindsey Graham doesn't even, he says he's never used the, the internet. He's never used the, he's never emailed anyone. Yeah. Didn't hear that. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, Lindsay said that. He just has all of his other people do that for yeah. him. Yeah, that's what you have your your people do. Yeah, I call them my minions. Yes, like Ben. Like ben, ben, will you email minion. me something? <laughs> and Ben, will you send this email to my mother? It's her yeah, birthday. Yeah, but it looks like the cheap flip phone I bought for my son who just left on his mission, so he uh-huh. could call us. You know, yeah. one of those where yeah. it's like a track phone. Yeah, you just toss it. Yeah. yeah, it's like a four dollar phone. I think that's what it was. And so he, but Trump. Outed him by throwing his name, his uh, cell phone, his number. cell phone number out to everybody in the world. Exactly, which is just so rude. So rude. 
It's got. There's got to be people that know Donald's cell phone number, or one of his entourages. Yeah, I, I just mm. hope you know. Let's just talk politics and get can't away we, from all this can't we craziness. Yeah. You know what? But I think this is going to turn into like the to like the show Survivor. Could be. It's going to get way Could, cool. Do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think if we just put all the GOP on an island mm-hmm. with Trump, all of them, all sixteen of them. And then whoever comes out on the boat a week later, whoever like finds the boat, they win. And that's the nominee. I love that idea. And if you had to put your money on it, it wouldn't be Trump. <laughs> what will some of the challenges be? Some of the challenges would be like you have to eat, you know, maggots. Or hot dogs. <sighs> yeah, you got to eat. By the way, apparently humans consume, U.S., Americans consume about 70 hot dogs per person a year. No. Yeah, they do. Really? How many do you eat a year? I think I eat maybe one or two. Oh, you only eat one or two? Because oh, yeah. that's funny because I eat 138. So if you, <laughs> you look double, at that. Almost double it. Good job, Matt. Man, the numbers are incredible. <laughs> They're right on. That surprises me. That really surprises me. I don't me. eat. I, I don't eat very many. I don't go for the hot dog. No. I mean, I go, you know, a shrimp. I like a shrimp on the Barbie. That sounds much better. It's, that's kind of, isn't the hot dog the thing you don't want to see how it's made, right? Yeah. Or what's in it? Yeah. You, yeah. you never want to see them making sausage no. yeah. or hot dogs. <laughs> you know, um, they'll have a hot dog eating contest on the island. They would probably have, you know, where you have to go get catch fish. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Naked and afraid oh. <laughs> on the GOP oh, island. Oh, ooh. Yeah, no. Let's keep them that's dressed. That's scary. Yeah. That would be really bad. That would be really bad. I I don't believe Trump would make it off that island because, you know, there's a lot of pretty (laughs) mad – there's a lot of mad uh, presidential contenders on the GOP side. Trump's ticking them off. Anyway, what do we do about it, folks? Hey, uh, speaking of hot dogs and eating, we are – we have one in six Americans that are under – that are undernourished. They're hungry. And uh, we're going to talk about it. Joel Berg's going to be joining us. Joel is a nationally recognized leader, a, a spokesperson in the fields of domestic hunger, food insecurity, obesity, poverty. He's the executive director of the New York City Coalition Against Hunger. He'll be joining us in just a few minutes to talk about the fight against hunger right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you think of starving families, we often think of the less developed countries, don't we? Those, uh, you know, and, the, and the, the children, those poor children that they're emaciated, they, they're just looking so sad. And the reality of hunger, though, in the United States is it's a whole different picture here, except same problem when you think about it. The matter is, the matter of the fact is, uh, fact of the matter is, one in six people in America face hunger, and yet uh, we sit here with a really large food supply. Right? We have the food, we have the abilities. It's just that for some reason we we aren't able to distribute our food in in a in a better way, in a healthier way. Some people just don't have access to the food we need, even though there is food there. So joining us today. 
is Joel Berg. Joel is a nationally recognized leader. He's a media spokesperson in the field of domestic hunger. He's the executive director of the New York City Coalition Against Hunger and a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. He's also the author of the book, All You Can Eat, How Hungry is America? Joel Berg is joining us. Joel, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. This is such an important issue, and I I really think so many don't understand it. When When I was reading an article about just people saying things like, don't feed the hungry, they're like wild animals, they'll just keep coming back for more. It just shows us how ignorant so many people are about this topic. Well, people just don't know. People don't know around the country, and they don't know that in Utah, 14% of the people in Utah live in homes that can't afford enough food. Mm. We know it's an industrious state, for goodness sakes. Yeah. The beehive represents all that Utah's right. about. Right. But that represents a 10% increase in hunger in Utah over just the last decade. And there's a lot of stereotypes that people don't want to work, etc., etc. The truth of the matter is the vast majority of people hungry and food insecure in Utah are working, They're just not making enough to feed their families, their children, their senior citizens, their veterans. So it's people who've given everything to our society, and we're not giving back by ensuring that they have enough to eat. No, that's it, isn't it? And we just had an an author on of another study a couple days ago talking about the majority of of uh, homeless are even working and those that are hungry are working. So there's it's not like a it's not like a lazy issue. It's. It's it's just the ability to make all of your resources last. Is that the problem? You you we just they don't have enough resources to get everything they need. Look, if you are earning less than your rent, you're, you're done. Just not going to have enough money for food. So sometimes people make it this big ideological thing when the truth is it's it's just math. It's just basic common sense. And, you know, I'm sure lots of Utahns think the situation's so different in Utah than it would be in New York, where I live, yeah. or Alaska, or Mississippi. The truth is, this is an American problem. It's in all 50 states. It's in suburbs. It's in, in rural areas. I've, I've been in Salt Lake City and visited anti-hunger sites there. I've been in the Four Corners and visited sites. This is a problem for the entire country that the whole country needs to address. Now, there are great groups in Utah working on this, like Utahns Against Hunger, but we really do need a national effort as well. Does talk about the national effort. Uh, a lot of our listeners are, are, you know, even truck drivers driving all over the country, or um, this is an issue in every city. How does America compare to the rest of the world? We are doing better than developing countries like Somalia or Haiti or <laughs> North Korea. The sad truth is we're doing far worse than countries like France or, or Sweden or much of the developed world. And frankly, we don't compare our space program or our Olympic success to Somalia right. and Haiti and North yeah. Korea. We really shouldn't compare our success in, in feeding our population. And this is a national security issue. The school lunch program was created in the 1940s to help ensure that our troops were well-nourished. Mm. No superpower in the history of the world has remained a superpower if it's failed to feed its population. Yeah. I mean, and really, these are kids. These are, these are kids that, that aren't, they don't have enough food to, to get good grades to go to school and to be able to make it through the day. Yeah, there are such concrete, self-interested uh, reasons. To be schooled, you must be fueled 
to be well-read, you must be well-fed. So we know for education to succeed, kids need to be nourished. But there are also moral reasons. Every single religious tradition on the planet, from the LDS Church to other Protestant and Catholic denominations to Judaism to Islam, every other religious and ethical tradition say that feeding our hungry, taking care of our community must be a priority. And the reality is the best tools we have at our disposal now are programs like the SNAP program, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or Federal Program, or the Summer Meals Program, which provides healthy meals to kids over the summer. Unfortunately, nationwide and in Utah, that program is way, way underutilized. In Utah, about 90% of the kids who get free lunch and school breakfast during the year, do not get summer meals. And that's why I uh. urge any of your listeners to call the USDA National Hunger Clearinghouse at one eight six six three hungry That's one eight six six three hungry You can find the summer meal site closest to you, but you can also find a food pantry or soup kitchen or how to get other governmental help. Yeah, because – so that number again, one eight six six three hungry Yes. Parents can call and they can get summer meals for their kids uh, and I guess for their families as well. Right. Now, there there, are some issues we are are looking at with the summer meals program that under federal law now you have to eat the meal – at uh, your site. And in places like St. George, as your listeners well know, it gets darn, darn hot yeah. in, 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 in this, this uh, summer. That's that's an understatement to say the yeah, least. Yeah, that is. The, I think I was there in the fall once, and it was 107. <laughs> and so there are issues we need to look at whether that needs to be uh, addressed, these prohibitions on, on uh, you know, the, the mandates that you have to eat the meals on site. But in any case, we want people to know about the existing sites and and get the help if they need it. I mean, it's got to be so interesting in in other states where they're actually producing food. They're producing corn or whatever in Iowa, and there's this abundance of food being trucked around, and yet people that are they're actually helping produce the food are starving. Yes, we are the most agriculturally abundant nation in the history of the world. A massive food exporter. But we have 49 million Americans living in homes that can't afford enough food. I actually wrote a piece that people can find online about world hunger. It's not about food. It's about power. And even countries like India, which have massive hunger that dwarfs that in the United States, Mm -hmm. are massive food exporter. So in all these countries, it's really about political power, number one. It's about the ability of people to afford the food exists. The food that does exist, it's, it's not about food production. It seems like if we don't change the mentality and the way we think about this, um, we're, we're going to just keep spinning our wheels in, in taking care of everybody. What are some more misconceptions that people have about, you know, the hungry? There's a misconception that somehow they're mentally ill or, or drug users. In fact, in the state of, of Florida, where there was a mandate that uh, low-income people be drug-tested to get benefits, a mm. mandate that was later ruled unconstitutional, the drug testing found that uh, people needing public benefits actually were less likely to test positive for drug abuse than the population as a whole. Mm. Uh, there's a stereotype that uh, the vast, vast majority of people who need help are non-white, when in fact the plur- plurality of hungry people, the plurality of people in America who get nutrition assistance benefits are white. Uh. They always have been, and they continue to be white, native-born 
white people. And there's also sort of a stereotype that somehow uh, low-income people are unduly dependent on benefits. I was on a show on a TV show, I go nameless, that was very, very critical of government helping poor people eat. And I noted that the host went to a university where the majority of students got federal student aid. Mm. And that host's boss went to a public university, which arguably is a socialist institution. <laughs> and, and I said that I think my country stronger because my tax dollars helped this host's peers and his boss go to college just as I think it makes my country stronger that my tax dollars help my neighbors eat. The other misconception is that people need help throughout their lives and, and that it's generation after generation. Uh, before the recession, the average length of time someone received SNAP food stamps benefits was six months. Huh. After the recession started, it's, it's eight months. It really is temporary insurance to help people when they're down, which is what this country is about. We give our neighbors a helping hand. Yeah. And the other thing is, I'd argue that essentially SNAP is a, is a very conservative program in, in that it's a voucher program. You know, in more liberal places like India or places in Latin America, government food programs send you to a government food warehouse. Hmm. The SNAP program does not. It sends you with a voucher, essentially, to a, a, a local uh, Walmart, yeah. to a, a, a Costco, to a, yeah, I don't think they're Pig Wiggly in your <laughs> neck of the woods, but other parts because my, my favorite supermarket name chain, you have the Safeway <laughs> chain, which is a big supporter of anti-hunger um, uh, efforts, giant store. So uh, the SNAP program actually aids the private sector, and every dollar, federal dollar spent on this program generates $1.8 in economic activity because you know, food primarily is still grown, picked, processed, manufactured, mm. shipped, wholesaled, and retailed in America, creating American jobs at every step of the process. So, again, if you forget the, ec the moral arguments that every single religious tradition on the planet, very prominently the LDS Church and every other church says we've got to do something about that, if you even forget that and just look at pure economic self-interest, having such a large percentage of the population that can't productively work because they can't have good nutrition, it's just a huge oh. drag on the economy. Hunger costs our economy $167 billion a year. Billion with a B. Wow. 167. Yeah, 167. That's a, a, a study from the Center for American Progress, where I'm a, a senior fellow in my free time. Uh, and uh, I've calculated we can end hunger entirely in America for, by increasing food purchasing power for low-income people by about $35 billion a year. Oh, so my heavens. People, you know, if, if you own a home and there's a hole in your roof and it costs you 167 bucks a year in heating and cooling costs, but you can fix it for 35 wouldn't you take the deal? <laughs> Problem solved. And, no, and exactly. Stress that I don't think the top answer is, is more government benefits. I think the top answer, and by the way, low-income hungry people think the top answer is more jobs mm -hmm. and more jobs that pay a living wage so people can make their way through full-time work. Yeah, and, and I think in the end when we, um, when we look at it, I, I, I think we just don't we're, – we're too simplistic about it. This is a very complicated – issue with some very basic solutions. We've even seen it here in Utah. We've talked about it before on the show where, we, you know, we could we can deal with homeless people, I mean, and actually get them homes and, and be getting them homes in a, in a way that's significantly cheaper than just not giving them homes and fighting homelessness. Same thing could happen with our 
hunger situation in America. Man, what if we could learn to solve it? And did you know that people were only on food stamps six to eight months? Now, sure, there's going to be some that are more, but the majority aren't. And so let's get informed. Let's figure out what's going on. We'll take a break, come back, learn more from Joel Berg about the uh, the fight against hunger. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you think about it, uh, what if your family ran into some trouble? Maybe there was a medical issue that that really put you behind. You, You couldn't work. You had to pay back all of these bills, and you just didn't have money for food. Where would you go? What would you do to take care of those issues uh, would you be too proud to go get a handout, to go get you know food stamps for a little while? Would that slow you down, or do you just see that's what it's for? It's a really interesting dynamic and, and dilemma you might be facing someday, and really that might be more of the face of hungry uh, people in the United States, those that maybe are underemployed, that don't quite make enough to make ends meet, they can't pay their rent and eat, and they have children. Um, it's a big deal. And joining us today on the phone is Joel Berg. Joel is helping us uh, kind of understand the real story behind hunger uh, and and people that are really starving. They're, they're not make, getting the food they need, the energy they need to go live healthy lives. Uh, Joel is the executive director of the New York City Coalition Against Hunger and a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. Also the author of the book, All You Can Eat, How Hungry Is America, Joel Berg. Thanks for being here, Joel. Oh, my pleasure. You know, and you made such a great point about how sometimes it's about someone just getting ill and yeah. not being able uh, to work having medical bills. I won't go into details to your listeners, but I just had my first ever colonoscopy. Oh. And the, the, the costs, I think, total for a few-hour procedure was something like $15,000. Oh, my heavens. Now, thank goodness I've... Yeah, you're insured. ...my organization, so I think I have a copay of a few hundred dollars. But if you don't, oh. just one basic test can can be months and months and months, or really years mm-hmm. of, of savings. You point out a, a car breaks down. You need the car to get to work. You don't have money for right. repairs. These are things that can happen to, to all of us, and that's why, again, I come back to the social uh, compassion. And, and, and you know, uh, for a, a New York Jew quoting to people in Utah, the New <laughs> Testament, it's a little dicey, but I will. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it, Joel. You know, when you feed the least of me, you know, yep. the least of us, you fed me, Christ essentially saying, if you know, feeding the hungry and housing the hungry and clothing the hungry is equivalent to feeding the Son of the Lord. Yeah. And by the way, people forget the next line, basically, if you don't, <laughs> it's as if you turned away the Son of the Lord yeah. from help. Hey, now, Joel, I, ask, but here's what I, uh, some people are sitting there thinking, well, yeah, but Joel, 
these people are just going to keep they're just going to keep glomming on they're just going to be stuck and we're just we're only making it worse because we're not we're not letting them fight their way out of it what do you say to the people that think that this is just about government handouts i say with all due respect that they've been conned by an untruth and mm. what i mean by that is conservatives used to say that you know what we don't care if people are poor or hungry uh, because that's just how society is. And people like William F. Buckley were pretty honest about that. And when people ran on that message, they got clobbered. Mm-hmm. So they did polling and they said, oh, we, 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 we can't say we're going to make them hungry or let them go hungry. We're going to say that by taking away their food, we're going to liberate them. <laughs> and they're no longer going to be hungry. And if you think about that right. for a second, that's, that's totally preposterous. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, that's like saying we're going to solve drought by taking away water. Mm-hmm. Now, in the SNAP program, there are work requirements for able-bodied people. And 80% of SNAP recipients were working the year before or the year after getting SNAP. And a large percentage of current SNAP households are working now and just not earning enough. So it's not true. And I, I must say that rhetoric is never applied to agriculture benefits for multi-million dollar farmers. It's never applied to defense contractors. It's never applied to wealthy people hmm. who are subsidized by our tax dollars, not only of their home, but their vacation home yeah. through the mortgage interest deduction. It's never applied to billionaires who land their jets at airports using air traffic controllers. If you're a billionaire and you're in your own plane, you're getting help from government employees. But if you're one person in your plane, as opposed to the rest of us, usually a few hundred people in a plane getting help from government air traffic controllers, the billionaire is actually getting a few hundred times the help from government that uh, you and I are, yeah, and you never hear people saying, oh, they're going to be dependent on government because they are, are using that. If they own eight homes and are getting municipal water systems eight times, yeah, <laughs> they're getting eight times the help for their homes. They're getting eight times the fire protection, eight times the police protection for their, their homes. So I, I, I do get a little incensed when we claim that only low-income people are, are dependent on government. You know, government water systems around the country have eliminated cholera. Right, <laughs> right. And I think we're all pretty happy. About we're all that. benefiting, it, and, and when you look at it, it I guess it's really a balance of having enough, cha- having the charity to be there, and then also um, the balance with self reliance, where we get them back on their feet and and in a healthy place, which is basically happening. If people are only on food stamps six to eight months on average, then it is working to get them back to a state of of maybe a little healthier living. The vast majority of people on the SNAP program want to work and want to support themselves through work. The people who say otherwise, frankly, uh, don't yeah. really know a lot of people on the program. Yeah, who wondering. wants to be uh, on a SNAP program the rest of their life if they could get off? They would want to get off, right? Yes. Uh, you know, the vast majority of people are working very hard. They're working two or three jobs. Yeah. And then to add on top of this, the demonization that somehow they're lazy bums mm-hmm. uh, you know, is, is a little hard to, to stomach. And, not, you know, sometimes I think that they, people have rewritten uh, the slogan, those who live in glass houses should throw boulders. <laughs> right. right. And some of the greatest opponents of SNAP admit that earlier in their lives, 
They were on it. it. Yeah. Said, oh, but I was virtuous. Mm-hmm. Look, half the people in America at some time will need this help. It doesn't mean half the people in America are lazy. It means half the people in America are sometimes poor at some times in their lives because stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And an a, a effective society reduces the risk for people that stuff happens. And we understand that a powerful society is only as powerful as our weakest members. That's right. And, and, those, and those that are struggling to get off or seem like they're more permanently on this I bet if we went in and investigated, we'd find out why. There's other issues. There's maybe mental health issues. There's more health issues. There's things going on that could maybe be addressed using other help. Yeah, look, and I get there's some people who never, ever, ever going to agree with me on this, right? Then I'd respectfully challenge them to join with us in supporting calls for increasing living wages. Yeah. And increasing wages, you know, that doesn't cost a penny of government help. The, the argument that if you raise wages, it'll somehow ship jobs overseas, it's just not true. The lowest paid jobs, waitress uh, jobs, fast food jobs, jobs, you know, changing you know, bed sheets at, at hotels, those aren't moving to India. Yeah. Those are going to still be in, in Utah and in, in, in America, and the states that have raised wages have not seen job losses. What, what, what are we supposed to do? What would you recommend to just the average people, you know, middle income, middle America, we're, we're doing okay, we're making it work. What can we do to, to help this uh, hunger issue out? How do we help educate? How do we make sure our children are more, more uh, maybe better prepared to handle it or to know where to go? Well, the first thing I would do is plug our great partner in, in uh, Utah, Utahns Against Hunger. Their website is www.uah.org. And I'd ask people to educate themselves, educate themselves on pending legislation. Before Congress, there's a child nutrition reauthorization bill. And some of us think that bill should be used to, uh, to ensure that all kids have access to free meals, regardless of their income, because we're spending so much money on the paperwork. Uh, that we're, we're, we're losing out. And if, if you agree with that proposition, you may want to contact your elected officials and ask them to, to make it happen. Even if we don't agree on benefits for adults, we should at least agree yeah. on a basic safety net for kids. And, and then, too, I guess nationally, they can go to one eight six six three hungry and and look into the Summer Mills program. What are some other national resources where uh, people across the country could be looking? They can also go to www.hungervolunteer.org. That's an initiative that's funded by ConAgra Foods that works with us and a number of partners to improve the way people volunteer to fight hunger, saying it's, uh, you can feel great about doing a food drive, and that's important, but you can feel even better raising money for a local group. You can feel good about showing up on Christmas and Thanksgiving, but you can feel even better lending your skills throughout the year. If you're a professional, if you can do accounting work, if you can do web design, these groups really, really need that. And so we urge people to go to that website as well. I know there's been a big push, too, uh, to bring healthier options. I mean, one of the things that you see, and we've talked about this on past shows, is in some in some inner city uh, situations, there really aren't grocery stores or healthy or healthier options uh, in in some of those cities. What what are some of the the programs you've seen that are trying to bring healthier options in? Well, the New York City Coalition Against Hunger, and people can also go to our website, nyccah.org, we have a project bringing fresh produce into low-income neighborhoods and, and subsidizing them. And so uh, that's a very effective program. 
uh, low-income people get far lower prices for fresh produce from regional farmers, and we prove that if you build it, they will come. If you make healthier food affordable and available, people will line up to eat it. That's cool. Well, as we wrap it up, Joel, just give us the one thing. I always ask for the one thing that that makes the biggest difference. In our battle against hunger, what would be the best thing that, the number one thing we all need to focus on? Raising wages ensuring that if you're working hard and playing by the rules, you earn at least enough to feed your family and put a roof over their heads. You get them, you get them more money, and, uh, and then, you know, we, I, we trust that it'll, it'll lift the whole system. Yes. It's cool. Joel, any, um, any other things that we need to just know? Just average just Joe. know that we, America almost ended hunger entirely. In the 1970s, we had bipartisan leadership, President Nixon, uh, Senator Robert Dole of Kansas, a very conservative Republican senator from uh, Kansas, worked together with more progressive Democrats to put together modern programs such as the food stamps program that actually worked. They dramatically decreased hunger in America. The fraud in the SNAP program is only 1% to less than the arrest rate in in Congress. So people (laughs) need to know we know what works and we just need to do what works. That is such a great... (laughs) The fraud in the SNAP program is less than 1%, which is lower than the arrest rate in Congress. Yes. That's so great. That's a great analogy. Good job, Joel. We we appreciate you, my friend, and uh, keep up the great work. Thanks for joining us. Joel Berg again, uh, executive director of the New York City Coalition Against Hunger and senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. Folks, there's, there's real data there, right? These are human beings, and these are kids that need to eat. Man, we we politicize everything, don't we? We don't have to make everything political. Let's just let's just feed people, and there will be people that will take advantage. And that's not that's the minority that's going to take advantage of a program like this. The majority want to get off. The majority are good. Do you believe that in the world? Are the majority of humans good, decent, honorable people? Or is everybody just out to get something? Man, we'll take a break. Come back, continue this discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking a fight against hunger. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, as we see on so many different topics, it's just easy to kind of go with the status quo political argument about any issue. So when we're talking hunger, we have so many people that uh, would immediately politicize this and just think, you know, they're they're just, you know... Always want more from the government, government handouts, and President Obama's just giving money left and right. And uh, okay, okay. And people are hungry. They're working at a fast food restaurant as a mother with three children, four children. What is she supposed to do? Well, get a better job. Great. Uh, how do you get a better job? When you don't have a car, you can't necessarily drive to the job interviews. 
because you don't have a car, because you don't have money, because you had a medical issue or your spouse left you, and now you're trying to raise four kids. Where are you supposed to go? Years ago, she would just go to her church, and her brothers and sisters in the congregation would gather together, and they would lift her up. And they'd get her back on her feet, and somebody would babysit, and somebody would be getting rid of an old car, and they'd give her the car, and the church took care of her, or her family would take care of her. Well, many people don't live in a situation anymore where they have their local church that has any resources to take care of them, or where their family's not there. And they find themselves in a hole, which I believe eventually all of us are going to find ourselves in a hole. Just give life time, and eventually you'll be upside down. That's kind of how this works. When it comes to this world, the role of healthy rotates, doesn't it? And you may be on top of your game, but as we just learned from Joel Berg, uh, you know, some of the big advocates that are like, just make these people become more you know, self-sustaining, um, those same people, their parents used food stamps many years ago. That's because things change, things rotate. But there's a weird thing going on here, if you notice it. And it's with a lot of the issues that we battle, we, we, we dichotomize an issue. So either we feed them or we just let them take advantage of us. Well, there's another answer, and it's don't either or this, baby. Just let it be both. We will feed the people that need to be fed, and some will take advantage of us. So let's not throw everyone out as being people that are taking advantage. The majority, apparently only 1%, are defrauding the SNAP program, the the food program for children. 1%, which... Joel made a great point, is about the same amount of people that are being arrested in Congress. So we're not going to throw all the congressmen out as cheats just because 1% are cheating, right? So let's just not politicize it. We do it with everything. We make it – the reality is everybody believes we should make people more self-reliant. Duh, sure. And we all believe in charity to some degree, right? So can we not just figure out a way, how can we create charitable uh, giving and ensure self-reliance? And there's no perfect way to do it because you got to take it one person at a time. And I think what we see is really functionally in our big, 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 big government, it's hard for us to do anything where there's a one-off. When one person's different, it throws our systems. It's hard. That's why, honestly, a shift back from a government bureaucracy to a church on the corner helping to facilitate this would probably be a beautiful solution, because the church on the corner can handle the one-offs, because some people are in desperate need simply because their husband had to go have a kidney transplant, and others have mental health issues. That's why they can't get back on their feet, and others are really struggling other ways. So we have to sort it through. And we can't just cast them all out and say, ah, they're just a bunch of losers because they're not working. Folks, the idea that we think or even equate people that are hungry with wild animals, which are quotes that have come from politicians in certain races from South Carolina to Oklahoma, 
the Oklahoma Republican Party actually put up on their um, on their Facebook page a, a, an announcement that they very quickly retracted that said the food stamp program administered by the U.S. Department of Agriculture is proud to be distributing this year the greatest amount of free meals and food stamps ever to 46 million people. Meanwhile, the National Park Service administered by the U.S. Department of Interior asks us, please don't feed the animals. Their stated reason for the policy is because the animals will grow dependent on handouts and will not learn to take care of themselves. Thus ends today's lesson in irony. Basically signed the hashtag Oklahoma GOP. (sighs) People that are hungry are not wild animals. And there's a principle here. And the principle isn't just self-reliance. And the principle isn't just charity. In life, and this is the key to, I believe, all success, we have to learn to balance all of the principles. We have to balance charity, love, caring for others, with self-reliance, getting people back on their feet, education, training, development. It's balance, folks. It's moderation is what it's called. And I propose we do it in all things. That's the Coach's Corner, my friends. We'll take a break. Come back next hour. More exciting, interesting topics up for you. Just stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, giving you the information you need to help uh, your families grow healthier, happier lives, just for you to take your life back. You know, we could just sit here and tell you all the fun stories about what Donald Trump said today. But uh, why? That would just be crazy, except we might do it a little bit. Uh, you know, a lot of people coming out swinging at Donald Trump. Rick Perry, he had a really nice speech about uh, Donald. In fact, uh, quoted uh, scripture saying that, you know, watch out, GOP, for uh, what are they called? For following prophets. What is it? Um, oh, man. You False prophets. False prophets. So now Donald's a prophet, a false prophet. Then poor old uh, man, it's just sad. It's sad because can't our GOP just get along? And now and then everyone's like, I don't like politics. These people, they're calling each other names. Everybody's calling everybody a name now. Is this good for is this good for us? I say I don't know, but it's great TV. When you get to see uh, somebody using their cell phone like a pinata, then, you know, life is good. I don't have to watch The Bachelor anymore. Oh, isn't that great? It's (laughs) – you love The Bachelor, I know, Ben. Well, yeah, but like there's so much more suspense in the presidential election. Don't you think? Yeah. And that means a lot because – Ben is just an addict when it comes to The Bachelor. And it's not even The Bachelorette. He doesn't like The Bachelorette show half as much as The Bachelor. 
I was going to say, wouldn't you want the bachelorette more than a bachelor? No, not Ben. No. Ben just Because loves... you pretend that you're the bachelor. Uh-huh. You're in his spot. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. That, that's a crazy – I watched a, a little bit of that while I was coming in and out of sleep. <laughs> and um, that's just crazy too because it does – it reminds me of the GOP 16. They're all just fighting for the love of one woman, Hillary Rodham Clinton. <laughs> Is that weird symbolism? Creepy. <laughs> That's totally creepy, but totally true. Totally true. Hey, we got a great show for you today. Um, are you one to take initiative? You know, do you just kind of do? You, do you actually get out there and fix a problem when you see it? Have you ever been watching your kids play soccer or football or something, and you see a cone get kicked? Are you the one parent that would run all the way down the field to set that cone back up? Or would you just sit there and, you know, tell people to watch out for the cone? We got a great guest coming up. Kirk Weisler uh, will be joining us in just a few moments. Um, He's written a book. You won't believe the title of it. It's called The Dog Poop Initiative. The Dog Poop Initiative. It all comes from a story when he was a soccer coach. We'll let him tell the story. But some people don't take initiative. They just won't. They'll just point out the problem. Instead of fixing the problem, we're going to talk to Kirk uh, Weisler, great, uh, great storyteller, great speaker. He's here to educate us, see if we have initiative. But uh, before we move on to Kirk, let's first go to our headlines and Kathy Aiken. Kathy? Secretary of State John Kerry is meeting this morning with Senate members during a hearing on the Iran nuclear deal. Kerry is expected to face tough questioning, especially after lawmakers have raised new concerns about alleged secret side agreements with Tehran. Several members of the House sent a letter to President Obama yesterday requesting the agreements be made available for a congressional review. Congress is expected to vote on the deal sometime in September. Five weeks after Dylan Roof allegedly killed nine members of a black church in Charleston, South Carolina, federal authorities yesterday indicted him on federal hate crime charges. Roof was also charged by the state with nine counts of murder. South Carolina does not have hate crime legislation, which is why the federal government stepped in. Two teens were taken into custody last night after five of their relatives were found stabbed to death in their home in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. The suspects are aged 18 and 16 and lived in the same home. One other family member is in the hospital in critical condition. Bill Cosby's request to the California Supreme Court to review a sexual assault case against him was denied last night. That now clears the way for a civil suit filed by Judith Huth to move to trial. Huth accused Cosby of sexually assaulting her in 1974 when she was just 15 years old. Her attorney plans to take Cosby's deposition under oath in the next 30 days. Donald Trump plans to visit the Texas-Mexico border today. The GOP president contender has made a hard-line stance on illegal immigration and has ruffled the feathers of many of his opponents on the issue. Trump also said this week if he's not successful in the Republican Party, he'll consider a third-party run. And speaking of Donald Matt, we all know he's alive and well. Yes. Did you know we now know where he plans to be buried? Donald? Donald, the Donald. Where? He has reportedly received approval to build a private cemetery at the Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey. Hmm. Trump has previously said he wanted to be buried in Florida, but now it's at a private cemetery where he and his family will one day be buried. 
and it's right behind the first T. Why are we talking about where he's going to be buried? I know. Isn't that weird that he's already, that, that new? Well, everything's out there now about the Donald, right? So yeah. why not where why he's not going find to be out? buried? Yeah. Have you seen um, the images of the cat hair, Donald cat hair? I have seen that. <laughs> <laughs> so what they do, and it started with some guy's website that he just, he has a cat website, that he would comb or brush his cat out, and then there would be this big wad of hair stuck in the brush. And then he'd pull the hair out of the brush, and he just started setting setting it on top of his cat's head. And it looks like a toupee. It looks like a really bad hair toupee. And then he took a picture and um, of his cat, and he posted it, and he showed how to do it. And now he's got a lot of people doing the same thing. Oh, and then they word. put Donald Trump quotes with their cat <laughs> saying them. Cat anyway. websites are popular. I don't know What why. is the deal with that? I don't know. Uh, James, I'm a dog person. I'm not, are you a cat person? I am person? too. I'm yeah. not a cat person. No. I'm, I'm allergic to cats. So for me, they're just, you know, they're the other white meat. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know what they are. I'm just allergic. I don't like them. Uh, I'm sure they're wonderful. But the um, James used to, we always used to tease James that he w- we would catch him watching cat videos. Ben, do you like cat videos? You do, don't you? My little sister shows them to me. Yeah, they're they're huge. But oh, yeah. what to me is it as a joke though, or f- I think it is a joke. Except I, I think it is a joke for a lot of people. But some people I think really they're just loving serious, watching yeah. cats. Wasn't there like a study <laughs> that showed when you watch mm-hmm. a cat video, it boosts your your mood? Yeah, it actually. I think it, yeah, it lowers your heart rate. It calms you, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's nuts. That is nuts. Now I get it if you put like a a hairpiece on the cat. That's just funny. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're if you're playing with a laser pointer. <laughs> it's just I'm not I don't uh, get it. I don't get it. But uh that's not even what we're talking about today. Thank heavens. We're not even going to talk about cats. We're going to talk about dogs. Good. We got a great book um by Kirk Weisler. He's coming in to talk to us about just a lesson he learned that is it's such an interesting lesson and it just shows you folks out there in the world, there's a lot of lessons if you just open your eyes and learn. So Kirk will be here. He's the author of the book, The Dog Poop Initiative. I know it sounds a little gross, but you've all lived this experience. You've seen this. It's a universal principle, and he's here to teach us about the power of your taking initiative. You can complain all you want. You can build all of these re- reasons and rationale for why you do what you do, or... You can just take initiative in life. Kirk Weisler will be up next teaching us about how to take initiative. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. When you think about your office situation, think about your coworkers. Do you have a mentality that goes around your office like, well, that's not my job. I'm not, I mean, that's not my job. And then nothing gets fixed because nobody sees it's their job. Have you ever seen that being, being passed around? Well, we may have a solution for you. And it comes from just an interesting story and a, and a book that was based on that true story put together by Kirk Weisler. Kirk is joining us, and uh, Kirk is an, an executive 
he's into executive coaching. He's been doing it for about 18 years. He's a speaker, a researcher, and uh, he works a lot with IT professionals and big companies, big, big companies are buying this uh, this book, and it's creating a really interesting dialogue, an interesting discussion. He joins us today to talk about the book, The Dog Poop Initiative. Kirk, welcome to the show, my friend. Matt, it's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. That's an interesting uh, name for a book. You know, <laughs> I wasn't sure what to call it. I, I, I never had any intention to write this book. I just had this experience. Yeah. And I... Today we would call it a blog about it, but back in back when it happened, I just wrote an email and sent it to some people on my list, <laughs> and uh, I thought, great! I just wanted to debrief because just I, get it I out couldn't believe you. this happened. Yeah. I just wanted to get it off my mind. But they read this email in staff meetings at different places, and then I started getting emails back saying, "Hey, Kirk, your story was a big hit." I go, "My story? My what? Your poop story? You got to do what a are book you about talking it." About? Yeah, I'm <laughs> like, I'm like, what? You read that in staff meeting? Teach us, teach us where it came from. Well, it actually happened um, not too far from where you and I are broadcasting. Really? So I live down in Arizona, but yeah. it happened here. I was an assistant coach dad on one of these little, I don't know, rug rat. Yeah. My son, Josh, was five years old at the time. So, you know, five-year-old soccer is not real compelling. No. The idea is <laughs> if you can get the kids going in the same direction. That's right. And they kind of run around in a big ball of humanity. So it was one of those big community fields, and they had three fields, and then they had a kind of a mid-sized field uh-huh. for little kids. So my job as the assistant coach was to really make sure the kids stayed out of the parking lot and off the field. It was our turn. <laughs> we showed up at a field. Um, we were the third set of teams to play on the field that day. That's important to the story. Yeah. So that means two other teams have been there. So as I show up, I've got several of our kids kind of corralled around. Some parents that are watching their kids play get, get my attention. They go, hey, you on the field next? I go, yeah, sure. And then these parents helpfully point out, hey. And they point to this pile of dog poop on the soccer field itself. And they go, you'll need to tell your kids to watch out for that. With great drama, they point out this pile of poop. And so I was like, oh, thanks. And then it kind of dawned on me. What, what just happened? Adults just pointed to another adult and said, hey, there's poop. Watch out. There's a problem there. And then it dawned on me. Wait a minute. That's been there the whole hour they've been playing this game. They've been trying to avoid this pile of poop for an hour. And then it dawned on me. Wait a minute. This is the third set of games. So there's been a game before this game. I don't think a dog ran out during the game and right. did it. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I'm not an expert, but you can kind of look at a pile and tell how long it's yeah, been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, yeah, you're not a forensic expert. Then I got a second warning. Then Coach Coleman showed up. He's the real coach. He got the same two warnings I got. Hey, watch out for the pile. Exactly. And and it was it was incredible. And so then to make to kind of bring the story to a close, as we. You know, we didn't say anything. Coach Coleman, I knew we were going to clean it up. Yeah. There was no... Why, yeah, why would you not? You're just going to clean it up. Because yeah. I, genetically, I don't know, does you have this in your family? Genetically, my kids are predisposed. Genetically, in our, in our family, <laughs> for generations, yeah. we step in poop. That's uh-huh, yeah. what we do. Well, some people are gifted. And they just, they, their feet can find it. Our family has that yeah. unique trait. Does your family? Uh, no, have... my, my family has more of the dry heave. That if we smell it, we just start dry heaving. So, so our, that would usually keep us away from it. Our feet, our feet and our family just go right for the pile. So, so we step on the field. We're going to get our kids kicking in the net, kind of warm up. We're going to clean up the poop. That's the intention. It never happens. We step on the field four steps. The two parent coaches, because that age group, the coach is on the field, and the young adult referee who's yeah. wearing the striped shirt, who's probably, from the look of him, doing some community service. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> these, these two adults and young adult, they stop us, and they also give us the poop warning. The referee suggests the solution. He said, what we've been doing is, because these kids don't really know, if the ball comes on this side of the field, I just blow the whistle. We carry the ball back over the other side. They've actually changed the rules <laughs> built, of the game. They built an entire system. To play around 
the Holy poop. cow. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. So that's that's the true story. And you sit there and think, okay, so we've gone three hours or so. Nobody's cleaned it up. We've actually built rules around it. It's we're adjusting the game when all you'd have to do is take some initiative and clean it up. All the drama. But no, here's the question, though. Yeah. Because this doesn't, Kirk, it's not my problem. So why should I have to clean it up? Let someone else clean it up. It's somebody else's job. Yeah. It's not my dog. It's not my poop. No, it's not my I don't own. even have a dog. What blew me away, Matt, was um, so when the, when the referees and these adults stopped us, uh, Coach Coleman, he just turned and he started walking towards the trash can. I just followed his example. Piece of cardboard, a stick. Yeah. 60 seconds. 60 Done. seconds. Done. A little gagging, whatever. <laughs> right. Maybe a little bit of That's acid right. reflex. So, <laughs> so then one of the parents of the departing teams actually said this. Somebody really needed to do that. That's what they said. And my wife wasn't there to stop me. So I looked at them and I said, and it couldn't have been you. And I, I really was in, at this point. And then I began to think about it. And the reason I wrote about it the next day was all these children, Matt, all these kids, these are the, the, potentially the leaders of tomorrow. Yeah. All these kids watched all these adults do all this pointing. And I, that, that, that's not how we're going to raise the next generation of leaders. No so, way. So that's what I wrote about it. And that's when it, 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 it kind of – and I began to have this journey. And the story uh, the story really took on its own uh, energy and initiative and, 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 and momentum, um, not because of anything wise that I yeah. did or said, but because what you said. The problem is huge. And I thought the biggest problem with initiative was just that. Everyone's thinking it's not my job. It's not my job. But I've learned a lot about initiative. And, and maybe later we'll yeah. talk about the number. I, I, yeah. I really want you to teach us because you go out and then you, you present this idea to corporations and they're eating it up because everybody else is pointing. And, and two, it's interesting. We almost have this sense of like learned helplessness where mm. ah, somebody needs to do something about that. And yet – there was 20 parents on both sides of this field for four. So, you know, we've had 80 or 100 people exactly. that could have done something. It, it, it's mind-boggling. It's yeah. mind-boggling. And it took 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. When, 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 the first com- when the first person said to me, yeah, we read it at our staff meeting, I said, well, what did you talk about? Right? Yeah, so yeah. Like, what well, was said. This, I didn't have any aspirations to be the poop guy or to, yeah, nobody really does, to train anyone correct. about initiative. That was never my ambition. <laughs> right. I said, what did you talk about? And they said, well, we read your story, and then we talked about our poop, our issue, the thing that we always point at. I said, well, give me an example. So here's an example yeah. for your listeners. So they said, well, when our phone system was installed, we have a lot of conference rooms. And so we, all of our, our consultants and trainers come back here. This is home base. And so we have a lot of conference rooms, a lot of conference calls. Our phone system wasn't installed properly. So you have to go through four extra steps to actually make the conference system work. So... Um, for three years, we've been printing off cards. Every conference room has the four additional steps you need to go through to make the conference system work mm-hmm. so you can set up a conference call. But then there was a problem because all these cards kept getting taken or thrown away or gathered with people's stuff. So then we had to reprint the cards and so then we so that we laminated the cards. We then put a keychain on the cards, like an old bathroom keychain yeah. you know, to make sure people don't walk off with it. Right. So all these things, as we read your story, Kirk, we said, why don't we just fix the phone system? Yeah. And so someone called the people that installed it. They came and spent three hours. They reprogrammed it, didn't charge us anything, apologized for it. Boom. For three years, we've been printing and complaining carefully yeah. and deliberately with this workaround, like the, right? We'll just blow the whistle, bring right. Paul over there. We'll make this thing. And someone just, 
every organization, every team, every relationship has a poop issue that we complain about, point at. Let's just fix it. Yeah. I mean, isn't that – but see, this is, I think, a universal principle. At some point, you're just saying own it. Own if it. it's in your life own and it. it's causing you problems, own it. But then we, we want to justify – I call that logical force where if, if it's not we, – we have energy to do something logical like – a, make a run around where we don't play this game. That seems logical. Right, right. But it's kind of – it's it's counterproductive. But we're OK with it because it's logical because it's not my dog. It's not my poop. It's not my job. It's not my issue. And yet in the end, you're the, one, you're the only one really – you're suffering. And if you have the higher level of intellect or ability or intelligence or just insight, you are obligated to do something. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that uh, one of the things that – was a big learning factor for me was um, I, again, I didn't expect any of this. I didn't expect to write a book. I didn't expect to do any of those things. That was not my intent or my desire. But as I've been kind of drawn into this discussion on initiative, I've learned a couple great lessons. And one of the great lessons I've learned was I thought the number one reason people didn't take initiative was because it wasn't their job. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to get their hands dirty. It wasn't their dog. It wasn't their poop. It's easier to blame. And I've, I've come to understand that that's not, it's not the reason. What's the reason? Here's what I've learned. Let me share this with you and your listeners. So I was on another radio show, and um, it was some. It was kind of a shock jock DJ thing, and it was supposed to be a five minute kind of laugh at the book kind of a deal. And I was like, okay, great. I'm. I've never done that before. I'm happy to do that. The phones lit up, and he started talking about the book. He said he had a big aha. He realized that he was the biggest pointer in his house. He was always pointing out to his kids all the things they weren't doing. Yeah. He he said my kids were had learned from me that. I was pointing. Dad will point. I'm the pointer. Yeah. The phones lit up and people began to call in. Here's what I learned from the people that called in. And this became a theme. Uh, We we stayed on for 40 minutes just taking phone calls. And it was just a a huge learning curve for me. The theme that came would be the example. This woman called in and she said, she said, well, she said, I I try to take initiative, but my friends won't let me. Hmm. And then she shared this example. Yeah. She said she's walking into work. Four or five friends went to lunch. They're coming back outside of the front office building where they're walking into a couple big trash cans. Ten feet from the trash can is a huge soft drink, soda can, cup or whatever, straw, kind of laying on the grass, just a couple feet off the sidewalk. She's coming with a group of friends. She sees the cup. She steps off the sidewalk and begins to pick it up. She's going to throw it away. She's going to take the initiative. Right. Her friends shamed her. They said, don't do that. You don't know where it's been. Uh, we have a grounds crew for that. What are you doing? Called her by name. Interesting. They kind of, and, and she said, you know, she said, and I didn't pick it up. I kind of thought, yeah, okay, you're, you're, you're right. She said, but later I thought about it. She said, my friends didn't really care about whether I got germs. What was the motivation? They now? felt guilty. They weren't, why didn't they do it? They didn't want her to pick it up because her initiative would show them what they felt like it would show them what they didn't do. They all felt to yeah. do it. Right? We all, so we end up li- all living to a lower level. Yeah, we're all holding each other back. There's this unintentional, unspoken peer pressure because mm. someone has to go first, Matt. Yeah, no, totally. And when somebody does show initiative, those that don't make them pay. Like, don't hey, don't be looking too good. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that scary? It's it's just tragic. It's we're, just tragic. We're talking with Kirk Weisler, the uh, the author of the book, The Dog Poop Initiative. By the way, all took place on one little soccer field. Yeah. This great le- lesson. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Kirk will continue to teach us other lessons, other keys that he's found 
in teaching about how to create more initiative, how to get rid of some of this uh, initiative shaming that might be going on as well, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're focusing on initiative. Let's go find some. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, have we got a great uh, guest today. Joining us today is uh, Kirk Weisler, the author of the book, The Dog Poop Initiative. You know, who'd have thunk? It's such a great concept. How about this idea that, uh, you know, it's not my dog. I shouldn't have to clean up someone else's dog poop, even though it is ruining your child's soccer game. At some point, don't you just need to take initiative and get it done? Even if it's not your problem, sometimes you might be compelled to be the answer. And so we're talking with him about this book. Kirk is a past leader of the National Speakers Association. He's a master team builder and a professional storyteller. He also served in the 19th Special Forces as a U.S. Army Ranger. Man, Kirk, welcome to the show. Well, it's good to be on the show. You're bad to the bone. I don't know about that. That's why you took care of the doo doo. (laughs) Because somebody had to do it. It was a hard mission. It was a hard mission, Matt. Hasn't Special Forces always been out there taking care of the doo doo? (laughs) Taking care of the doo doo. (laughs) You got to get out there and do it. Hey, talk to us about um, the book because it's it's in a way you just kind of put it out there, but it's it's incredibly well received. Corporate America loves it. You have a lot of big national clients. What Mm. are they? What are these companies? Finding and and what do they want when when they bring you in to talk about initiative? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you teach and what are these companies looking for? Well, generally speaking, I go and work with organizations on corporate culture. How do you make it a great place to work, and how do you change and affect long term the, the culture yeah. of the workplace? How organizations are using the book is a little bit different than what I talk about. One of the things there's there's a you've had authors after author yeah. after author on on your show. Yeah. So and you've met and shook hands and 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 authored some of your own stuff. So one of the things that there and all these leadership books they're great, they're awesome, but some of them are big and thick and repetitive and yeah. boring. Yeah. What one of the things managers tell me they love about the book is they can read it to their staff in 5 minutes. In five minutes, it's a very open metaphor. It's and by the way, it's a kids. It looks like a kids. Looks book, like a children's book, but it really, honestly, what Nine, is it? Yeah. Ten pages, twenty pages, twenty pages. Ninety percent of all the buyers are corporate. It's awesome. So most of the people that buy the book are are executive. They're they're mid level to senior managers, and they're leading it. They're reading it to their their staffs or their managers. Mm-hmm. So managers say, Kirk, what we love about your book, I read it to my staff at a team meeting. It took five minutes. Within five minutes, without shame or embarrassment, we were talking about our biggest poop there issue. And we were taking ownership. It, we're like, man, we're the biggest bunch of pointers. Nobody wants to be a pointer. Yeah. By the time you're done with the book, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a pointer. I need to be a scooper. <laughs> and so what are we going to do about this issue? Yeah. So, so they move quickly from that thing that's kind of their pointing to issue, solving. their poop, yeah. to solution to scooping, and they're done. They said, Kirk, we love it because it's such a simple metaphor. It installs immediately in the culture, and it has that stinky, sticky factor. Yeah. I mean, the book made to stick. Are you talking right? about the poop or the, the book? The book. Has the stinky, <laughs> sticky factor. Well, it's the, the, I was thinking about the book made to stick, why some ideas survive yeah, and others right. die by the heat right. brothers. So it's all of a sudden so, it sticks. 
accidentally, this has all the attributes that they talk about in that book. So it sticks. So all of a sudden, you know, if you're working with a group for a year, if you were a teacher, you introduced this at the beginning of the year. Now you can reference it the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Hey, are we supers or scoopers? Are we pointers or poopers? I, I, and, and the funny thing is, too, then they immediately can talk about it. And it's the talking that makes the culture. It's the talking. And then doing it creates the longevity. Because we're talking about it without blame. Yeah. We're talking about it without – well, you know, you've, you're the one who dropped that over in the corner. This is your poop. No, it's, this is our poop and we're all pointers. Let's move from pointing to scooping. And- but we see this everywhere. We see it um, – I mean if you just think of our, our political system, everyone's a pointer. Everybody running is a pointer, and they all claim to be scoopers, but most of them haven't even scooped. I, I took the book and I wrote in here, I wrote you know all the piles of poop on the pages where you're kind of going through the story. I wrote different social issues like immigra- you, yeah. immigration, yeah, uh, deficit, exactly, uh, you know Benghazi, whatever you want, you, mm-hmm. right? And then you could you could put the names of politicians. I did send a copy to a senator one time. I never got a letter back. So yeah, they're I like, oh, that's just disgusting. I don't think that they nobody talks about <laughs> such vile things. Talk about that story you were telling me uh, about just one of the people. One person found the book, read the book, loved the book. And then she went to Israel. Okay, well, a little bit different there, but so I got a call from I got a call from Israel one day. Hi, this is June Stone. I'm calling you from Tel Aviv. And I said, "Well, hello, June Stone. I've never got a call from Tel Aviv. How are you?" <laughs> but she sounded like, a, and I I don't do a good Brooklyn accent, but she was a very Brooklyn. And I said, "Well, you sound like you're in New York." And she goes, "Well, I'm a born and bred uh, uh, Brooklyn girl." She said, "I'm a full blood Jew." She said, "But." Um, she, I think she was 65 or 6 at the time she made this phone call. So this was uh, six years ago. She said, but I, I'm a, she said, I'm, I'm a, I felt called to go to the, back to my people. Hmm. So she packed up everything, got a passport, and she moved herself to Israel where she wanted to serve her people as a Christian Jew. And and so she's telling me the story, and I'm just listening. I'm like, well, what, what, when, why in the world am why I are talking you calling to me? And she said, so... I'm just over here. I see a problem, and I I go to work on it. She takes the initiative. She is the queen of initiative. That's cool. So she said, she said, the reason I'm calling you is about your book. She said, the parks in Tel Aviv were filled with dog poop. Nobody goes to the park to walk around and enjoy the park. They go there so their dogs can do, do their, their business. Do and, their she duty. Said, and she said, so I decided I'm going to fix this. And she said, so we hung up, we hung up great big boxes of bags, dog poop poop bags. And she said, people stole the boxes right off the poles. <laughs> they stole the bags and used it for lunch bags. She said, so we designed boxes that were so heavy, you can't carry them. We bolted them to poles. Oh, wow. We, we changed the bags so they say sacky or khaki, and they, they, we make them out of a stinky plastic so that nobody wants to put their lunch in them. She said, but she said, nothing was working. She said, so finally, we started talking to children. We created a program called Because We Care. Interesting. The website is sacky. Your khaki, sacky-khaki.com. How does one spell khaki? K-A-K-I. And I guess, <laughs> okay. I guess in, in Hebrew it's, it means... It's Yiddish it's, for something. Yeah, so that's great. Sack your khaki. She said, Kirk, as we began to work with the children, the children would tell their parents, hey, we can't do that. We mm. can't do that because we care. We can't let our dogs just do that. She said, we're having some real success. And she said, one of my friends from New York sent me your book. And then in her, in a very demanding, you know, Brooklyn people, strong. in a very strong way, she said, so I need you to give me your book. And I said, okay. Okay, she said, don't hurt me. Yeah, I said, okay, you can have my book. She goes, she goes, no, 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 I need you to give me your book without words in it. She says, I need to 
Yeah, she needs to transcribe. Or, yeah. So I need you to, and I need you to take the squirrel out because there's a squirrel in the book. Yeah. And I go, why do you, why? She goes, we don't have squirrels in Israel. <laughs> okay. And I said, the squirrel kind of carries the story, you know. She said, can you change it into a cat? I said, so you want me to get my artist to change the, she goes, yeah. She said, so I need a blank copy of your book because I need to reverse the pages because you read backwards. Right, right. You don't do it right there. Yeah, so yeah. You, we need to go back to front. So she said, I need a blank copy. Wow. I need, I need the rights to it. I need you to donate everything uh, because I'm doing something. We're going to change lives in Israel. Yeah, so, so I just said, okay. And That's then, cool. And then it's kind of fun. Uh, I know you – so this is kind of a fun and, and spiritual aspect of the story. Then she needs to go print 10,000 copies yeah. for her program. And she went to the printer in Israel, and they told her how much it was going to cost. She didn't have money. She had no money. And the printer wouldn't donate. Yeah. So she prayed over it. So she said – so she said – she's telling me this on the phone. She said, Kirk, I gave it to God. And I said, God, I got it. Yeah. Kirk was nice. Now yeah. I need a – If God wants us to sacky the khaki, he better right. find a this way. This is for your land, God. Yeah. <laughs> so she, lay, she gave it to God. And then she calls me to tell me this miraculous story. She said, Kirk, she said, and she told me that I don't remember the name of uh, uh, someone in Israel. She said, called her and said, June, I had a dream last night. In the dream, you and I were sitting at a restaurant and I was writing you a check. So I need to meet you at this restaurant. I'm bringing my checkbook. I need you to tell me why I'm writing this check and why this is the number I'm putting on the check. Hmm. And the number in the woman's dream was the exact number that the printer gave June Stone oh, to print the book. Oh, how cool is that? And so June, bless her heart, she called to just tell me this very yeah. faith-wounding story. And she said, Kirk, she said, what can I do? Um, and I said, well, could you send me 20 copies of the book in Hebrew? I said, I can't read it, but I'll, I'll treasure it and I'll hug it forever and yeah. I'll give it to all my Hebrew-speaking friends. And she, so she did. She was true how to word. amazing. So 10,000 copies in Hebrew. And that's probably just the beginning, really. So, Matt, you're talking to a man who's helping to clean up the Holy Land. I'm you doing t- my part in Israel. Well, and apparently God's on your side. <laughs> or, I, or I'm on his. I don't oh, yeah, know. Yeah, you're on his side. But isn't that amazing? It's, and so she's a scooper. She's a scooper on, on so many levels. Jim yeah. Stone is a scooper. Well, and just took over. She's, I mean, like basically demanded, give me the book. No, she's very driven. So her program, she's been on the national news over there. And she called me recently and said, Kirk, she said, we're going to do your book in Arabic as well. A lot of the governors of the townships, they've seen the success of Tel Aviv because we've had tremendous success. Interesting. Working through the children yeah. to work through the parents. That's the way to do the it. Culture Wasn't that country. interesting? Because the kids, the kids may not ever be pointers if their parents weren't pointers. Right. The kids would just... The or, po- or poopers. Or poopers. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that... It's, it's a, it really is a contagious thing. You can, you can change it. By showing initiative, it becomes contagious. And she, right, these kids, by taking the initiative, they do the opposite of what the woman says. Yeah. You know, they're telling their peers, hey, it's cool to take initiative. Someone has to go first. Whoever takes the initiative is a leader, and the leader is whoever takes the initiative. That's it. Right? So really, that's all a leader is. Someone who says, I see the need, I yeah. act, right. I do. And they kind of they, – they subject themselves to maybe lesser than conditions like the gag reflex to go remove the poop. Someone from this great campus area where you've got your, yeah. your studio here, Dr. Stephen Covey. Yeah. Years ago, he said the difference between a person who takes initiative and the person who doesn't is a 5,000% difference. Now, that's quite a claim. That is, yeah. But he was really trying to illustrate, I think, this idea that the person who looks and sees and complains and points and does nothing 
adds no value. Yeah, you're just a noise. But the person who takes initiative, the person who acts, the person who lifts, the person who scoops, the person who moves, they make all the difference in Mm -hmm. the world. And making that difference in the world is really, I think... Uh, what the book invites uh, people to consider and invites people to do. Well, there and there's power and there's energy in seeing that. One time I saw we were at a funeral, um, a viewing at a for, for a person that had passed away, and there was a line of uh, the family whose mother had died, and and they were all you know they were parched. They were they had been talking for hours, and I saw a woman in the line get out of the line. And come over, get drinks for all of them, and bring the drinks over and give these people drinks. And this was just a woman that was going to visit the family and, and you know, extend their condolences. And I sat there and I thought, what was that? Like everybody else had gone through and said, is there anything we can do to help you? If there's, yeah, if there's anything we can do, if there's yeah. anything. But someone but one saw it. said act. And don't we notice those people sometimes? Mm-hmm. In the airport the other day, I'm standing in line. And I'm seeing some stuff laying on the floor by the ticketing counter. And I'm thinking, when I get up there, it just doesn't belong there. The airport's clean and clear. And this man next to me, he's ahead of me and it's closer to him. And he's an older man and doesn't bend as easy, but it's bothering him too. He reaches over under the banner, he grabs it, swads it up, kind of puts it in his pocket. I looked over it and I reach into my backpack. Luckily, I said, you're a scooper, man. <laughs> I just gave him a book. It's such a cool idea. And it's uh, Stephen Covey, by the way, um, I got to work with him a lot. Oh, no way. And work with him on book oh. writing and stuff. So I worked with Franklin Covey. Oh. But you know what quote he used all the you're time? You're so lucky. I know. He really was a beautiful man. He still is a beautiful yeah, man. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, the quote he uses a lot is, when are we going to stop swatting at the flies and go and patch the screen? Ooh. It's the pooper That's it. scooper and metaphor. See, it took me 20 pages. I know to, why. I don't it took know me why. 20 pages. To, All just, you had to do was just read Stephen's yeah, yeah, <laughs> When are you going to stop swatting at the a picture flies? Of a, I just need a picture of a screen with a hole in it. But really, too, because you, you, you do more than initiative. You go in and teach culture work. You teach principles of service. Right. And really, in this, this, the dog poop initiative is service. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that we do to help organizations change and shift their culture is – you know, we've got to get away from the idea of let's have an all hands on deck meeting and talk about our yeah. – we, we need more ownership around here. So we have a one-hour meeting. We hand out T-shirts or whatever, and then we, we go back to work. We never talk about it again. Well, that's not how we change family culture. Yeah. A family culture exists because of family rituals and traditions because – Covey. Yeah. First, we form habits, then our habits form us. So I teach organizations, you've got to establish some habits. You've got to have, establish very intentional traditions. And on the wings of those traditions, you create a continuous ongoing dialogue about – your stuff, your culture. What is it we move towards and become? That which we consistently think about, right. talk about, and believe. Right. So we've got to create those patterns. When I help organizations change culture, I say, find three or four stories. Now, the Dog Poop Initiative might be a great story to begin a, a discussion about initiative and yeah. ownership. But the best stories are the ones that you've created here. Their, cult, their stories. Yeah. Go find your stories and then tell those stories. But don't yeah. just tell them once. Yeah. You got to tell those stories again uh-huh. and again and again and again. Yeah. Repetition is the mother of learning and skills. So you've got to be willing to repeat yourself as a leader. How did your mom and dad train you and I? Well, backhand. Well, backhand. And <laughs> if I've told you once, I've told you. Yeah. Twice, a thousand times. A thousand times. So yeah. we've got we've to be willing as leaders to repeat ourselves, to tell I the same that. stories again and again. And then that's how we drive it. Like the Aborigines cultures, they had storytellers. Mm-hmm. If we grew up in that village, we would hear the same stories hundreds of times. And instead, what we tell is the negative story. 
We always tell – we always hear the story that didn't work. Right. I mean and I, I remember when I got run over by a car. <laughs> we don't ever hear the it's story true. of the really good driver, right? So we, we, we do something called the culture warrior. We tell people how to be a, a story warrior. And, That's and, powerful. Uh, Where can they find uh, more out about your services and your work? Just, just my website, just my first and last name, Kirk Weisler, and that's Kirk, like the old captain. Yeah, like Captain Kirk. The one we loved. Uh-huh. And then uh, Weisler is W-E-I-S-L-E-R. You, you know, you spell that wrong. It's, Did I? It's, well, you, you spell it. It's supposed to be spelled W-I-S-E. I know. Sorry. But W-E-I-S-L-E-R. It's a German thing. It's all It's up. German. <laughs> Weisler. Weisler. It's a Weisler. Uh, well, I think you did a great job. We're going to have you back, too, to talk about your other book. Oh, I'd love to come back, Matt. I'd... You're fun to just hang out with. Matt, what a delight to be on your show. Seriously. With you and your team. And honestly, we found Kirk through my sister through – he was speaking at an event, and my sister, I guess, had the nerve to just well, your track sister, you down. Your sister had used the book at a staff meeting. She said, hey, you're the poop guy, which is that's, – which is, I bet that's hard to hear. Yeah, that's not really <laughs> – that's not really what I want my yeah. kid. My dad's the poop guy. That's not why I want. <laughs> you need a better calling card, yeah. don't you? Yeah. Kirk Weisler's his name. Uh, and uh, in, and intuition, I mean, initiative is his game. Go check out his website, kirkweisler.com. And we're, we've got some books we'll be uh, giving away. Kirk has left some books for us. So if you'll go to our uh, Twitter page, at uh, Dr. Matt Show, let's just say first four people. To contact us at Dr. Matt Show, we'll give you a copy, a signed copy, I bet, of of the Dog Poop Initiative, signed by Kirk Weisler. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, my friends. We'll be right back. More insight, more ideas on initiative after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it, this whole idea of initiative, it's such a its such a powerful tool. So many of us uh, just sit back and we complain, right? We just complain. Or we point out, as Kirk was teaching us, we just point out all of the problems. And sadly, we the last thing we need are more pointers, People pointing out the problem or people just finding better and better explanations of what's wrong with America or with life. And it's such a natural human instinct to be a pointer. And we seem like we're doing something because, hello, I noticed it and I pointed it out and I'm really loud about it. But being loud about something and pointing it out doesn't equate to results. Right. Henry David Thoreau had a quote. There are thousands hacking at the branches of evil to uh, for every one that is striking at the root. Very few of us are ever actually dealing with the actual root. We can sit there a million times and just sit there and talk about like we did earlier. We talked about hunger and what's going on with hunger in our society. And a lot of people are pointing that it's a problem. And a lot of people are pointing and saying that, you know, people don't care. People are just using the system. Well, then figure out a way to do something about it. There's so many good examples of of people that just are doing something about the problems in life instead of pointing it out. And we've all been on a soccer field or a football field or somewhere where there was just a little pile of doggy doo-doo. 
And you can be the pointer that points it out, or you can be the scooper that goes and solves the problem. And the amazing thing I think about the whole thing is either way, um, I guess you're informed, but one of them, you're actually kind of transformed. When you decide to go do something about a problem and use your energy, your initiative to make a change, it transforms you. You're no longer just an informed person. You're transformed because you've taken your knowledge and used action, your agency, your willpower, to make it something new. I think we could transform the country if we could move all of this pointing that goes on into some more action. How powerful would it be if our, you know, our political elite were much more into action than talking? much more into scooping than pointing. And they'll argue they all do scoop. But let's see it. Let's see it. You know, let's transform it. And so think about your life. Let's not even get into the world. Let's not even get into solving the country's problems. Why don't you just get into your world? Can you be thinking about where you have some obvious stinky piles that need to be dealt with? Where is it in your life, in your marriage, in your family, with your kids? What are the issues that need to be dealt with? And what's the most important thing you can do today to start to take initiative? Every single one of us have got uh, so many opportunities. Uh, Victor Hugo once said, initiative is doing the right thing without being told. So what would motivate us to do the right thing without being told? I'd say our conscience, right? The understanding of what's right and wrong what's good or bad. And it's so interesting, too, how beautiful our kids can be at just kind of initiating that. Um, do you remember when the whole, uh, you know, turn off the water while you're brushing your teeth campaign came out and everybody wanted to conserve water? My kids, if I leave the water running, my kids are all over me. <laughs> my kids, if I say something that uh, it seems offensive, my kids are all over me. Dad, you can't say that. That's rude. Stephen Covey said about initiative, the key is taking responsibility and initiative, deciding what your life is about and prioritizing your life around the most important things. Do you know what your most important things are and what do you want to teach those people that you love the most and how can you live those most important values? That's initiative, folks. That's it. Great lesson. Great lesson. We're going to take a break, my friends. Uh, We'll come back. We'll uh, do it again next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Doing what we can on this program to give you the tools you need to grow a healthier, happier life. Welcome to the program. And by the way, happy hot dog day. Or as we say in German, Ben? Wiener. Pardon? Wiener. Wiener schnitzel. That's something different. Okay. 
V-Nat, which, by the way, it's hot dog day. Happy hot dog day. And Ben is giving me the lowdown. Ben lived in Germany for two years. Um, and Wiener means what, Ben? So it comes from Wien, which means Vienna. So it's like a food from Vienna. So when you think of like a Wiener, like Wiener schnitzel, it's a really a Vienna-er, right? Like a Vienna-er schnitzel. What's a schnitzel? Pounded meat that's breaded and fried. Sounds delicious. Oh, it's way good. You know, whenever you hear the word pounded meat, you think that's weird, but I'll take it. Um, uh, Wiener schnitzel, and then, but I did not know this, and Ben like gasped when I said it. Apparently, Germans have got some really good food, starting with the hot dog. Yes. But the hot dog that we eat here in America isn't necessarily the same. Oh, it's horrible. Well, that's rude. That's rude. It's just different, Ben. It's What's the difference? Well, we're, are we being politically correct or are we being honest? I don't know. Let's honest. just be Let's both. Let's be honest. Let's be both, just in case. What, what, what's the difference between the good old American hot dog and the Wiener from <laughs> Germany? Well, they have like a whole aisle of hot dogs. Mm. And it's talk more about that. <laughs> they so, have like a whole shopping aisle at the store full of hot dogs. Well, it's like in the refrigerated section, like you have half of it's full of hot dogs and half of it's full of cheese. Mm. So, it's my favorite aisle. And see cuz you've I've had like a Polish dog. Like a Polish dog, that's mm, that's good. Like I don't I just I don't just like hot dogs anymore. I like a big or a bratwurst. Oh mama. Oh yeah. This is the greatest day by the way. Hot dog day. Question. Let me push that. The question is, yeah. though, what's the best thing on a hot dog? Chili? Ooh, oh and cheese. Yeah, chili and cheese. I yeah. love chili dogs. Like sauerkraut on it? I I like sauerkraut. I love sauerkraut. I love it except most people it's it's just I don't want it in my house. <laughs> It smells you don't like a the bit. smell? Yeah, it does smell a bit. But that's a great hot dog. Yeah. Or I just like putting everything on. Did you know there's rules to eating a hot dog? No, I did not. Let me give you a few. Uh, you use, you don't, you do not use cloth napkins, paper napkins. That's all you should use with a hot dog. Okay. How many bites should it take to eat a hot dog? Well, depending on the size. No, uh, no. That no? is that is wrong. On any size, three bites. Five bites. Five bites. No, no more than five bites, okay. even if it's like a 20-footer. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty sick. Uh, don't use or do use paper plates. Don't ever serve a hot dog on China. That's a, no. that's unacceptable. That's too yeah. It's way too way too formal that way. And the, don't put hot dog toppings between the hot dog and the bun. bun. You just put it on top. You dress the dog. Okay. <laughs> not the bun. Condiments should always be applied in the following order. Wet condiments like mustard and chili are applied first, followed by chunky condiments like relish and onions and sauerkraut. Who comes up with that? Followed by shredded cheese, followed by spices like celery, salt, or pepper. Who comes up with yeah. it? Yeah, who, who, who came up the with The American that rule? Federation of Hot Dog Eating People. <laughs> Flump. I don't know. I didn't sound it out. Anyway, I you started isn't it a great day? So, so I know I've got to be careful whenever you say that. <laughs> so here's uh, just uh, from us to you, from the Matt Townsend mm-hmm. Show, from all of us, we wish you the happiest hot dog day you could ever imagine. Now, are you going to have a hot dog today after you've said all this now. all morning long? I totally am. Okay. I'm going to Costco to find a Polish dog. <laughs> I don't know where else I can get a good hot dog. Oh, there's that. Yeah. I don't know the name of it. 
the dog place. Derwiner schnitzel. J-Dog? Uh, actually, sadly, oh. the, I have a Derwiner schnitzel by my house that just closed. Oh, it just closed. Yeah, J-Dog's. I've never been to that. Is mm-hmm. that good? Yeah, it's it's actually way good. You can get sauerkraut on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's coming from the German boy. Oh, but, yeah. Matt's paying, so let's go. Yeah, I'll pay. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll meet you he there. there I'll meet you there bit. in a half hour. Oh, we got a While show. While you're still darn on the it. show. Yeah, darn it. Uh, anyway, the happy hot dog day. Let's now go to the second most important thing of the day, the headlines with Kathy Aiken. Thank you, Matt. Secretary of State John Kerry is on the hot seat this morning, facing tough questions on the Iran nuclear deal at a Senate hearing. Senator Bob Corker, Republican chairman of the State Foreign Relations Committee, told Kerry he's been fleeced by the Iranians in the pact that five other world leaders also agreed to. Congress is expected to vote on the proposal in September. Meanwhile, an estimated crowd of 10,000 protesters packed into Times Square last night, demanding Congress vote down the proposed nuclear deal. Many in the crowd upset the pact was submitted by the Obama administration without congressional approval. President Obama said he'd veto any legislation that tries to overturn the deal, lifting economic sanctions on Iran in exchange for that country scaling back its nuclear program. Suspected Charleston shooter Dylan Roof has been indicted on federal hate crime charges. Roof, who's accused of killing nine people in a black church in Charleston last month, was also charged by the state with nine counts of murder. Here's Attorney General Loretta Lynch. Roof further decided to seek out and murder African-Americans because of their race. The parishioners had Bibles. Dylan Roof had his 45 caliber Glock pistol and eight magazines loaded with hollow point bullets. Federal authorities became involved in the case since South Carolina does not have its own state hate crime laws. Bill Cosby's request to the California Supreme Court to review a sexual assault case against him was denied last night. That now clears the way for a civil suit filed by Judith Huff to move to trial. Huth accused Cosby of sexually assaulting her in 1974 when she was 15 years old. Her attorney plans to take Cosby's deposition under oath in the next 30 days. Donald Trump plans to visit the Texas-Mexico border today. The GOP presidential contender has made a hard-line stance on illegal immigration and ruffled the feathers of many of his opponents on the issue. Trump also said this week if he's not successful in the Republican Party, he'll consider a third-party run. New York Governor, uh, New York City, excuse me, is recommending fast food chains with 30 or more stores nationwide increase employee wages to $15 an hour. New York City workers will see their wages increase to that amount by the end of 2018. One city which moved its minimum wage to $15 an hour is seeing evidence of unintended consequences. Seattle workers who saw their wages increased are reportedly asking their bosses for fewer hours, this in an effort to preserve their welfare benefits. With the increased pay, some are nervous if they make too much money, they'll lose subsidies for food, childcare and rent. And Matt, a man reportedly sneaked into a home in New Jersey and hid under a bed in a spare bedroom for three days before he was found. Police say Jason Hubbard was charged with burglary and stealing electricity because he charged his four cell phones in an outlet under the bed. The man entered the home when the homeowner was taking out the garbage. The owner heard a noise and spotted the intruder. Three days later, he's being held in a correction center on $50,000 bail. So he just snuck in. Snuck in, hid under the bed. How do you, you know, if you're that, how do you have four cell phones? Yeah. I'm assuming they're all stolen, but I mean, he's charging them all. He borrowed borrowed them all. Isn't that, what was his name, Del Hubbard? It is Jason Hubbard. You know what? You know who his mother was? Mother Hubbard. Old Mother Hubbard. Who lived in the shoe. Yeah. See, so if you're yeah. if you're raised in a shoe, this is the psychologist <laughs> oh, in me. Oh, if you're goodness. raised in a shoe, mm-hmm. 
you, this seems normal. This is what this happens. Is normal you behavior. wait for someone to take out their garbage, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and then you go in the house and, and you sneak, sneak and it? live under the bed. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't say if the man left during the day and he kind of went and ate their food. I don't know how he but lived. But then when the guy but... came back, would he not notice? Like, hey, where did hey, my where did the milk where go? did my hot dogs go? <laughs> Who ate my hot dogs? Oh my goodness, hot dogs! Don't you know what I mean? That's yeah. just you are on a hot dog. I'm starving. Uh, binge today for some reason. That wow. is a that's a weird deal. Yeah. You know, I guess it took some initiative as we've been talking about. But you know, it seems like you'd probably just want to. Not hide under a bed yeah. for four days. We need more information. That's very strange that he just went to this particular home and slept under this particular bed. Um, yeah, very weird. Maybe he was testing the beds to see if it was too soft or uh-huh. too hard. Like, this I knew you were going soft. there. <laughs> yeah, we're going to nursery rhymes for yeah. some reason today. I'm telling you, I don't Old know why. Mother Hubbard. It and, all just yeah. again. I'm not. I'm not like a police. I'm not like a police investigator. <laughs> but I watch enough of the shows now that I'm starting to become one. Mm-hmm. But mine always are. They always go right back to. Like Old Mother Hubbard or The Three Bears, one of my childhood stories. Oh, wow. Okay. Sad. Totally sad, but true. Great job on the headlines. Hey, by the way, what's the deal with Trump? If Trump's already thrown out there, I might go. I might go independent. If and this, you know, if you don't well, give me he what goes I want. Third party. There goes the uh, Republican. Yeah. <laughs> there goes a Republican victory. So. But and again, he wouldn't win either because he'll. He's just going to bifurcate the vote anyway. Yeah. So. He's going to slowly flame out, in my opinion. I could be totally wrong. Well, you'd think but so, but once then, he gets to the once yeah. he gets to the uh, first debate in August. That will definitely I, – I think we'll see a big change. You know what I think that first debate is going to look like with Donald Trump is like kind of a gang, initi- a gang initiation oh, yeah. where you got the about 10 nine, guys yeah. circling yeah. the one and just going to – they're going to just – what is it? They're like, they beat him into the gang. <laughs> hey, welcome to the GOP. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mr. Trump. Take that. Anyway, I don't want that again. I'm yeah, I can't do it again. <laughs> I think I pulled my back. I pulled my back doing that. I got to really be careful. Really got into that. Yeah, I got to be careful. I don't want to get hurt at work. Uh, anyway, good job, Kathy. Uh, fun stuff, isn't this interesting? I just acted out the Donald Trump gang initiation into the debate. Fun stuff. We are going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, do you have a problem overeating? Isn't that funny? We've been talking about hot dogs. And now we're going to talk about overeating. Ron Hager will be joining us. He is our resident uh, health fitness expert. And not the kind like that are all buffed and just he, buffed and meaty. That sounds weird. Ron is a BYU professor, associate professor of exercise sciences here at the College of Life Sciences. He's going to be talking to us about overeating and how it happens, why we tend to fall into the trap. But again, remember, it is hot dog day. And I'm sure even Ron would accept a veggie dog today. We'll take a break. Coming back, talking overeating with Ron Hager after this break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. And yes, it is hot dog day. But nonetheless, we still have to talk about overeating because it's a it's an epidemic, folks. And you might be falling into traps you don't even know you're falling into. Joining us uh, today is our good friend Ron, Dr. Ron Hager, from uh, he's associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at BYU, and he's here to teach us about why we might be overeating. And you may not know this, folks, but did you know that two-thirds of adults are considered to be overweight or obese? 
in the United States. Two-thirds. That's crazy, Ron. It's actually a little more than that, quite frankly. It's getting worse. Yeah, it's probably pushing about 71% now. What? Or overweight or obese. Why? Uh, Why? What's happening to us? (laughs) Well, there's a lot of issues uh, surrounding this. But, you know, you don't have to go back like 100 years to say, you know, that's back when our nation was fairly lean. Right. We're only talking about, uh, you know, maybe maybe 50 years or so or or even less. and a lot of things have changed. You know, I, I remember as a as a as a child, a young a young boy, uh, growing up, uh, when uh, convenience stores were starting to you know really kind of become popular. Yeah. You know, I mean, there were kind of the you know the, the 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 corner drugstore kinds of things, but I'm talking about like the convenience store that's hooked to a gas station and that kind of stuff. And I remember. Um, in the, the little town I was growing up in, they put in one of these convenience stores, and there was a competition, and it was going out over the radio, you know, to, uh, to announce to the the public, you know, that uh, this convenience store is having a competition. They want you to come up with names for the different size sodas that they had. They wanted to <laughs> be able to compete with Seven yeah. Eleven, yeah. who had you know the big gulp, the big gulp, and the super, super big gulp, big gulp, and you know, and whatever other names they had, and. Uh, you know, so it was back when I was, you know, uh, eight, nine, ten years old. You know, so you're looking at about forty years ago or so, and uh, and that's that's when, all, you know, all the craze, all the rage started to become, uh, you know, more is better. Yeah, bigger. Yeah, super grande. Yeah. There's one store, uh, one chain. I won't name names. That they almost like question your manliness. Yeah. Because yeah. like, so do you want like the macho size? Yeah. Or do you want like the puny, weak puke? Yuck, yuck, yeah. size. Well, you know, there, there's I'll a, take the macho, there, There's a restaurant that, uh, called the Heart Attack Grill that I read about <laughs> recently. And that's yeah. exactly the perspective that they have. In oh. fact, in fact, the, uh, you know, the names of their menu items, it's mostly a burger joint. Yeah. Uh, but like the, like the triple bypass burger is oh, what they call heavens. it. It has like, uh, you know, two pounds of beef, uh, 10 slices of cheese, <laughs> 16 slices of bacon. So I guess you don't like that. And, 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 the, and, and the, the food servers, the, the staff, basically, are mostly women, uh, and they're dressed as nurses <laughs> so that they can, you know, check your vitals, I guess, after you that, eat yeah. this. But, but the, the reason I came across this story, uh, the reason I know about this, because I came across a story in the newspaper, and uh, a guy that was eating there, a patron, actually had a heart attack while he was eating one of these burgers. And and the interesting, he he survived. You know, medical technology is great. They yeah. can they can save people who are having heart attacks. Do they have defibrillators <laughs> on the walls? I don't know there. if they had them there, but but uh, but the the other interesting thing is he's having this heart attack, and the other patrons are thinking it's funny. And they have their video, you know, their cell phones out, and they're videoing this and all kinds of stuff. You know, and, you know how some of those restaurants, though, like they'll do if on your birthday they'll all come sing and do some routine. They probably thought this guy's heart attack was a routine maybe, from maybe. this crazy, yeah, maybe I don't type know. of restaurant. But part of this gets into, I guess, the portion sizes. Yeah. And, and we're we're we went to dinner last night as a family, and I think three three of the ten of us ended up bringing. Leftovers, yeah, home. yeah, and that didn't used to be the case. No. I remember too. Well, first of all, we ate out very little. I mean, eating out is definitely a more popular yeah. thing now, and fast food has contributed to that significantly. You know, there's just like an unlimited supply of of food that is highly palatable. You know, very tasty, 
It's extremely convenient. Yeah. Even if you don't go out, the kinds of prepackaged foods that you bring into your home are extremely convenient. And for the most part, they're very inexpensive. Mm. I mean, you can go to, you know, Tuesday taco night or whatever. Uh-huh. You know, you get three tacos for a dollar. I mean, are yeah. you kidding me? No, I, can feed, I can go buy 30 tacos and yeah. feed my entire family for yeah. like nine yeah. bucks. Yeah. Who wouldn't do that, Ron? But one of the things I've noticed is that even in restaurants, even in sit-down restaurants, you get more food. Yeah. That the idea is in order to get your business, they want the customer to feel like you're getting more than you get anywhere else for at least the same price or less. And so what they do, I've noticed this, to make you feel like, I guess you're not you know, a pig at a trough, uh, <laughs> they bring it out on bigger and bigger plates. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed that, but the plates you get your food on now in restaurants, you could not even have in your home because you wouldn't be able to close the cupboard door. They're so big. I thought that was – I thought I was just getting smaller, but yeah. you're saying my plate is getting bigger. Your plate's getting bigger so that – so that the portion size doesn't which is uh, weird cuz now the, the tables edge. need to get bigger and yeah, everyone's spreading out yeah so so that has led you know to a couple of issues um you know there there is an overconsumption problem uh no question um if you go back to about the uh the 1970s uh we're we're actually as a nation per person uh we're consuming uh you know about 800 calories more per day than we used to Eight hundred. Yeah, that's a lot. That is a lot. That that is that is a lot. Um, Especially when you think about what you'd have to do to work that off. Yeah, yeah. T- today, you know, there are different surveillance mechanisms to track how much food is produced and consumed and whatever, uh, you know, in our nation. Uh, today, uh, the food supply is three thousand eight hundred calories per person per day in the United wow. States. Now we're only consuming. I say only, but we're only consuming. 2,700 calories per person per day, which is probably about 1,000 calories more than we need. Right. But that, that 1,100 calories difference between the 3,800 produced and the 2,700 consumed uh, is, is lost, you know, in cooking, uh, plate waste, mm-hmm. preparation. Yeah. You know, you prepare foods and some of it goes in the garbage and some of it goes in the recipe or whatever. You know, Ron, our first hour of the show today, we talked about hunger. Yeah. And one in six people in America are really starving. They're hungry. Yeah. And yet we're still cons- – so so 15 or whatever percent of the country is already – don't even count them. Yeah. So the, uh, the rest of us are consuming the 2,700 calories. Yeah. Well, then that's an average. So yeah. Some are much higher. I mean, probably some are much that, lower. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I read a study not too long ago, but the, the study was done some time ago. I just came across it not too long ago. It was a, an interesting study. They took a large, fairly large group of people, randomly assigned them to groups, you know, to, to get rid of any bias. And then they gave them varying portion sizes of macaroni and cheese. And guess what? The groups that got the most macaroni and cheese in terms of total portion yeah. ate more macaroni and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> so you, If you get more, you'll eat more. Exactly. Because especially – and that, that is even in a case when you're not paying for it. But imagine if you're paying for it oh. in a restaurant yeah. or even if you're shopping at the grocery store and bringing the food home. All yeah. of a sudden, it translates into dollars and cents, and, and you think, I'm not wasting that. Isn't that? You know, because you had to pay for it. But I've walked out of a restaurant absolutely sick, Yeah, so full. And my wife, she is brilliant. She just she, – she eats – to this state of when she's feeling like she's starting to get she's, – she's getting full. And yeah. she, she has this discipline to stop 
And by the time, you know, half hour later, she's perfect. She's well, done. Appetite and how much people eat, uh, it, it, it seems like you could just say, you know, you just have to have more self-control. Yeah. It actually goes beyond that. There are, uh, there, there are certain uh, uh, neurochemical issues involved. There are hormonal issues involved. Uh, the central nervous system is involved. Uh, and sometimes people legitimately have defects. Yeah, they're and missing that. They're they're missing some kind of a piece of of how appetite works, and so uh, it, it's very very difficult for some people who are otherwise apparently healthy uh, to stop eating. Well, let's let's come back and talk about that again. We're speaking with Dr. Ron Hager. He's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. He's also an expert in um, what's the, your field of uh, tennis. Tennis, <laughs> no, not kidding. tennis, but just uh, dying. No, what do you? You have a name for it? A very specialized chronic disease, chronic prevention. disease prevention. Yeah, yeah, chronic disease prevention. And today we're talking overeating. So stick with us. We'll be right back, learning more about uh, what what's driving this need to overeat. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, today we're talking about overeating. We're joined by our resident uh, health expert, Dr. Ron Hager, is joining us. He's a, an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at Brigham Young University. And his area of expertise is chronic disease prevention, which is, uh, you know, that's why we need him on the show. And along with chronic disease prevention, happy hot dog day. <laughs> Happy hot dogs. Thanks. I, 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 thank you for that. It's sad. 47 million hot dogs are, are consumed every day. In America. In America. Yeah. 4 million pounds of bacon, 60 million pounds of red meat, 170 million eggs a day, 3 million gallons of ice cream. Holy cow. <laughs> That's this, just in Utah County. Yeah, that does no, sound I'm like that. Kidding. 10 million pounds of candy, 16 million ga- gallons of beer and ale. 1.5 million gallons of hard liquor, which is enough to make 26 million people drunk. <laughs> That's crazy. That is; Those are crazy stats, Ron. Well, there's a lot of people in this country. We're over well, – yeah. It's, or there's probably not all of them. Are, that's just like one really good ball game. Maybe so. Don't you think? Yeah, that could, just could sounds be. like baseball season. Yeah. Talk to us about uh, what, what's going on and, and, and what we should be doing to minimize our overeating. But, my my wife has told me an interesting story last night. A friend's in town, uh, and they and she hadn't seen her for a while, so they went to dinner. And when she got home, I said, "Did you have a nice visit?" She said, "Yeah, uh, your friend's doing okay. Yeah, she's doing great." Um, uh, what 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 did you have? You know, I, I said, "Where did you go?" And they went to a popular local restaurant. And I said, "Well, what did you have?" And she said, "Well, uh, we shared hmm. this. I don't. I can't remember what it was. Some kind of chicken dish." Uh, and so they they shared it because that's great. And guess what? Neither one of them left hungry. Yeah. And so that's kind of a key too is just becoming aware that you know I I say to my class all the time you know to ask themselves this this question or or make this own statement in their mind: Do you eat to live, or do you live to oh, eat? Oh yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and that reminded me of another quote uh, from a man named Wendell Berry. He's a, a writer and kind of an activist, and he's also a farmer, interestingly. Um, he said uh, people are fed by the food industry. And I'm just throwing yeah. this out there just to give you something to think about. People are fed by the food industry, which pays no attention to health, and are treated by the health industry, which pays no attention to food. It's so, so there's there's kind of a disconnect there, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. Well, and, you you even talked about it that we we consume. Well, I think the number was like 2,700 calories. That's the average per day in America. Because we just aren't thinking. We're just consuming, consuming, consuming. Yeah. But. Well, it's it's in talk front about of you all our body time. doesn't need twenty seven hundred calories. No, no, it it, no, it doesn't for the most part. Now you can do some very simple, kind of energy based calculations, you know, from just uh, you know, kind of physiologically based uh, findings. Um, you know, you can calculate, uh, you know, how much oxygen you consume, and that can convert, that can translate into caloric expenditure and so forth. And all of this can be based on body mass or body weight. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you were consuming. Uh, 2,700 calories a day, and uh, you are the average person in America in terms of uh, your caloric expenditure, both occupational and leisure time. You know, how, what do you spend your time doing that actually burns calories? And for the most part, the population is sedentary. More than 70% of the adult population does not get enough physical activity mm, yeah. to, to warrant health benefits. Uh, so you would have to weigh 242 pounds to justify the 2,700 calories of consumption. Now, that doesn't happen. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, maybe there are some people that actually weigh that much. For the most part, a person that weighs 242 pounds would not be considered very lean. Uh Now, there are some people out there, bodybuilders, you know, athletes, they might actually weigh that much and and still be fairly lean. But the average 242-pound person is probably going to be classified as obese by BMI standards. So, so if you don't know your number, though, I know my number. If I can keep it at about 1,800 calories, I know that even if I don't exercise, I will lose weight just for how I burn. Yeah. But if I exercise, I can lose really healthy amounts of weight and I keep my caloric intake down. So, but so, I know my number. So it sounds like you've made a conscious effort. I don't even remember how I got the number. I think – I don't remember how I got the number. I think I just threw out like I'll eat 2,000. I think I read it somewhere and then I started noticing I could lower it to about here. And yeah. I'm not even suffering doing that. Yeah. So how do else how, – so how do people go figure out what their caloric intake should be? Well, it, you just have to get in touch with yourself. Yeah. You know, that, that's the big key, Matt. You've got to figure this out. You've got to take the time and you've got to assume ownership and take responsibility for your own health. You know, there, there's, there's a million different dietary approaches out there. Some of them are even, you know, physician supervised, yeah. which makes it sound like, well, how, how well, can that possibly it, be right. wrong? But look, in, in, the, in the case of every one of these dietary approaches, whatever they are, if, if any one of them even worked, yeah. Why are we facing an obesity epidemic? That tells me that something's wrong. Yeah. Something doesn't work. So, you know, these one-size-fits-all diet approaches don't work. They're never going to work. A person has to be like you. They've got to be conscientious. They've got to decide it matters enough to them, and they've got to figure it out. Now, there are certain things you can do. Stay away from processed and refined foods. Stay away from sugar-based drinks. Uh, stay away from, you know, what I call cardboard carbohydrates, uh, you know, stay away from high fat foods. I'm not saying that you have to go on a necessarily a low fat mm-hmm. diet. Uh, and I'm not a big advocate of counting calories. I mean, you say, you know, I know my number. Yeah, that's great. 
Uh, for some people, that's going to be too tedious. Oh, that's usually that's too tedious for me. Yeah. But what's amazing about it too is I don't even if I, if I ju- I just it's amazing if I just am watching it, not even counting it per se, but watching what I'm eating for every meal. Just paying attention to it, yeah. it changes when I versus when I don't. When and, I and, don't, it and, gets away from me. And start to learn uh, when you're satisfied yeah. but not over full. And some of it is about self-discipline. Mm-hmm. Some of it is about self-control. Uh, and some of it is just about you know changing your beliefs, your attitude, increasing your knowledge, you know, trying to learn some things that way. There's another, there another researcher. In fact, she was the one that actually did the study on the macaroni and cheese that I mentioned. Her name's Barbara Rolls. And... Uh, she came up with a, an approach to eating that I think is absolutely fabulous. A lot of research has been done on it. It works. I wouldn't say it's a diet. I would just say it's a, a pattern yeah. of eating. She called it volumetrics. Okay, so this is where you actually learn to, to start taking a look at new, uh, food labels, you know, the, the, not necessarily the ingredients, but the nutrition label where it tells you, you know, how much carbohydrate, protein, fat, how much sodium, all right. that kind of stuff. And basically all you need to do is look at uh, the grams per serving. So it'll also tell you, you know, how many grams are there in a serving of this food that you're about to eat. And she says, always try and spend more time eating foods or looking for foods that have more grams per serving than calories per serving. Oh, Because it'll tell you both things on there. It'll say, you know, if it's an Oreo cookie, you know, it'll say it's something like uh, you know, 42 grams, but it's also, you know, 85 calories. Or I just made that yeah, up. Yeah. I don't know if that's the case. But yeah. see, in that case, that's more calories per serving than grams per serving. So if you can find serving, grams are higher than stay calories. Stay away from it. Oh, interesting. So eat foods that have higher grams per serving than calories per serving. That Man. way you're getting the volume yeah. without the caloric density. And where do you find those kinds of foods? Mostly where do you think? Uh, whole foods. <laughs> whole foods, whole grains, fruits and vegetables, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. You know, ironically, just we got to go, but I happen to have four Oreo cookies in my lunch today. Do you? Okay. Yeah, so I'm going to go figure that out. I would eat two of them and then give two of them to me. Well, I don't want, I don't want you to die. <laughs> I'm trying to save you. I'm trying. To, well, I appreciate your help. Dr. Ron Hager is his name. Again, Ron's Associate Professor of Exercise Sciences in the College of Life Sciences. Ron, is there a, a place they can go to, to find more resources, more tools? Hey, I'll give you one idea. Kind of fun. There's a, an interactive quiz is what it's called. Um, and this was put out by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute uh, and some other things, uh, some other organizations. But all, all you have to remember, you can just Google portion distortion. Cool. And you'll go to this website and they, they go through what has happened to our portion sizes from 20 years ago mm. until today. Yeah. They talk about the difference in calories and then they give you examples of how many or, or what kinds of activities you'd have to do and for how long in order to burn to, those to burn extra calories. We'll, we'll go look at, we'll go track it down for you. So you can go also go to the, at Dr. Matt show on Twitter and you'll be able to find that there or go Google portion distortion. Ron, thanks my friend. Thank you. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back talking to our our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody. There's Jerem. 
Thanks, everybody, for coming back. We're going to shoot it down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Jerem Jordan's joining us with Brian Logan. Hello, gentlemen. Everyone with a kid under five knows that song. Dude, that's a great song. Yeah. The best song. I've never heard that song, I don't think. The very end of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and Disney Junior. Do you okay. know why it's a good song? Why, Brian? Any, any Disney or kid song is good when your kid is not around, your spouse is not around, and <laughs> nobody's around, and you find yourself whistling or singing yeah. the song. Yeah, I could yourself. just see you doing that, Brian, just working it. Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> Guess the time. what today is? That's why we're playing the song. Hot, hot dog, dog day. day. Hot dog day. Happy hot dog day. We at BYU Sports Nation celebrate every week's worth of shows mm-hmm. by going to a local establishment here called J-Dogs. J-Dogs. We, we love hot dogs, so we go eat a delicious hot dog every single Friday for lunch. Holy cow, that's where it's happening, because apparently we consume 70 hot dogs per person annually. Wow. And it must be BYU Sports Nation staff. That's consuming the majority. Well, 4% from us, 10% are consumed on July 4th in the, uh, you know, Joey Chestnut. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Island dip it and stuff you know it, hot saying? dog eating contest. Yeah, I don't eat hot dogs, though. You, you no. don't eat any, Brian? No. Brian eats healthy. I, I, can't, oh, I can't remember the last time I ate Brian, come on, brother. Just stick it in your mouth and just put that fat on your body. I, I just can't, man. I don't. Well, the thing is this. I don't cook, so my wife cooks for me yeah and she, she doesn't she's cook healthy hot dogs so yeah. it's like whatever she cooks is what i eat you, have a, you don't go to a barbecue and have a hot dog or do you i get a burger you, you there you go yeah nothing wrong with that Mm-mm. hey um what do you think the odds are that somebody could be struck by lightning twice and win the lotto Ooh, i'm trying to think of what would be <laughs> the, the, the like impossible I'm, no, no, it's not impossible. Slumdog millionaire. Us. One, one in two point six trillion. <laughs> and we Someone have one can come up with those odds. Yeah, it's just silly. check this Someone out. Took though. time to do that. Peter McCaffey apparently hit pay dirt. Uh, he was first. Uh, he had a. He had a. Um, he was struck by lightning when he was fourteen, and he lived to tell the tale. Didn't kill him. Wow. But his second lightning strike came this month when he won a one million dollar lottery in Canada. With a coworker, report uh, a coworker. They won it together, and so what are the odds then? Really, he so he he got struck by lightning at fourteen, and he then won a million dollars. And amazingly, he uh, was struck by lightning. His daughter was struck by lightning, and apparently, the odds of two people getting struck by lightning and winning the lotto are about one in two point six trillion. That's crazy. His da- so he got struck by lightning, then his daughter got struck. Mm-hmm. So he got, but he got struck when he was 14. Did that get passed on? Yeah. Those- it's genetic. Yeah. Lightning it's genetic. genetic. Yeah. Yeah. Genes got passed on. He's now got the attractor gene. <laughs> <laughs> Plus she glows in the dark. It's oh, not a bad thing. She's going to win a million dollars. Wouldn't that be great? It's almost like you know getting struck down, struck by lightning and then when a million dollars, God's like, I apologize. I apologize. Here you go. <laughs> Here you go. My bad. I owe you. I didn't mean to hit you with lightning. Right. I meant to hit someone else. <laughs> so uh, we, we have a holiday. Uh, we're not going to be on air tomorrow. We'll be doing a, a best of show tomorrow. Well, isn't that wonderful for you? Well, you guys have to work tomorrow. <laughs> huh? We choose to work tomorrow. That's excellent. We cater to all 50 states, Matt. No, you know what? So do we. Um, we just do it a different way. <laughs> we just phone it in. My, so, so my shows are so powerful. We can replay my shows. Yeah. 
They're they're just so full of depth. Well, there is a there is a timeliness thing, you know. Yeah. They, if your show has some shelf life, then yeah. hey, that works. Our show has zero shelf life. It's all about today. It's always about now. today with you guys. But what's neat about you guys is, is apparently you're still going to do your show. You're going to do it today and tomorrow. So we every know, dang day for the rest. This will be show today is show five hundred and one. That's right. That's right. This is the next five hundred. Yeah. Sort of show one in a way. By the way, five hundred ones were my favorite Levi Jean. Oh yeah. Remember those days? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I, I, I like 5'11s. Those are my favorite. Do you? Yeah. Brian wore Jankos growing up. Brian, aren't you 5'11? Jabos. Brian, you're 5'11, right? Wow, that's really nice. Um, yep, sometimes. Wasn't that what that said on the, <laughs> your press? I think, uh, it, I think it said in high that. school. In high school, I was 5'11, and then in junior college, I got a little bit shorter. I got to 5'9. What happened? And then once I got to BYU, I became 5'6. What happened? Um, well, there was integrity, were cut. there was integrity coming oh, down in the measuring every, every level. <laughs> you know, my high school coach was, d- didn't really care. He wanted me to be 5'11". Yeah. My JC coach was like, ah, I'll give you a couple inches, you know, uh, <laughs> but I can't, I can't, you know, put my name out there, myself out there like that, that bad. And then coach Minahal was absolutely not, I'm no. not lying. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. You are 5'7". of truth. Of discovery, exactly what happened. Good stuff. Of reality, I, either way, I think, <laughs> Brian, you look great. Hey, what uh, what are you guys talking about on your show today? Today's exciting because uh, I don't know if you heard Jim or Fredette to the Spurs. No contract, so that's oh, very exciting. Wow. So he still has to make the team. We'll break down the details of uh, what's involved there, but great news for Jim. He's that got is a shot. News. He's not in Europe yet. He's How do you think Popovich will use if if he makes the team? Does Popovich use kind of a three-pointer stud like Jimmer? Our opinion, uh, at least mine, I'm not sure what Brian's is. I think I think it's similar, but is that he is used as a spot-up shooter. I don't think they're going to put the ball in his hands. They already have a p- backup point guard and a third-string uh, point guard. I think they'll sit him on the perimeter and uh, kick it out to him and hope that he can make some shots occasionally. That's I'm not cool. seeing a ton of pl- uh, playing time for him anyway, Yeah, but if he gets in, maybe that's a role he can have. But he's high maintenance in that he needs the ball in his hands to be effective. Yeah. That's, right. that's how he became right. the gymmer. Yeah, yeah, because then he can work it to where he can make it. Yeah, and, the, and, 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 and Jimmer's skill set with that ball in his hands in the NBA hasn't uh, yielded the same kind of results in college. I don't think that we thought it would, but um, he's got he's got a role, and if he can figure out that role and a team gives him a shot, hopefully he mm. can stick. That's cool. That's really cool. So you're going to talk about that. Do you have Jimmer on the show or anything fun like that? We wish. Come on. Uh, we have the Spurs play-by-play, actually. He's gonna, uh, that's awesome. He's going to talk to us. Plus, we'll talk to Paul Asike. Oh, uh, wow. BYU running back. Yeah. He's trying to make the Arizona Cardinals roster. Camp uh, for him continues oh, Monday. That's got to be hard. Yeah, it's kind of like doing this show. You know what I mean? Hard knock life, trying to make an NFL, <laughs> an NBA roster. Settle down, Brian. Yeah, and Brian knows what this is like. Brian went to Canada and hung yeah. out in the CFL for a bit. Did you like? Did you like that, Brian? Nope, I hated it. <laughs> I absolutely hated it. Did you? No, no, it was it was a it was it was a it was an interesting experience. It was a it was how, a cool experience. How tall how tall were you in the CFL? <laughs> uh, five five and a half. <laughs> You're I shrinking, dude. Do you can't afford to play any more sports? <laughs> no, I just I just keep getting shorter and shorter. <laughs> Brian's just... all Orem City League first team flag football, dude. He's oh, all he's over. He, yeah, he's a stud. He's... Who are we I, kidding? I should send you my film, my highlight tape. Well, let's do it's, it. It's well, ridiculous. Is it awesome? <laughs> you dominate. I should, I should upload that to you. Yeah, YouTube. do it. Do it. 
Get it up there, and we'll we'll put it on our our Twitter page so everyone can see how you dominate the locals. Okay, perfect. You said it. You guys are awesome. Okay, have a good show. I got to let you go. Go go make people happy. Thanks, Maddie. <laughs> Eat hot dogs, Brian. Yeah, try dude. a hot dog. Have fun at J Dogs tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. Good stuff, folks. Uh, man, really hot dog. I, who could make it through life without a hot dog? But he's ripped. These guys that are healthy. I don't know. Just seems so wrong. Part of Americana is the hot dog, right? Hey, as you know, we like to uh, end the show talking about our heroes. And we got a great hero story. A winning teacher uses her prize money to help out the students at her school. After scoring big, Bree Drage, a 23 year old school teacher from Australia, was on a TV game show, Millionaire Hot Seat where she was the winner of $20,000, and upon winning her earnings, Drage took a look around her school and decided exactly what she wanted to use the money for. The look on the faces of all the kids, she said, was worth it when, um, when uh, she told her students. This is what happened. She said, I walked into school, and every student in the whole school has given me a hug and said thank you because she bought everyone in the school a new pair of shoes. All 200 students at Yuli Park Community College in Ballarat, Australia, will receive a sturdy pair of leather shoes to get them through the long, cold winter. Dredge says her time on the quiz show was scary, but she hopes it will inspire the students to get out of their comfort zone and try new things. How cool is that? So, Bree Dredge, you are the hero of the day on The Matt Townsend Show. Thank you for being willing to lose yourself in the service of others. That is super, uh, it's a super example. And folks, just know, examples like that are all around you, your friends, your neighbors, in your family. You are that type of an example. Thanks for listening to the show. We can't do it without you. You can find us, uh, if you want to go back and listen to the shows, you can go to byuradio.org. You can go to iTunes or TuneIn or just find an iPod or a, a podcasting app on your phone and look up The Matt Townsend Show. Pass it on, folks. We hope you're seeing the good in the world. Have a good one. Take care and make it a great life.